This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Potodri for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Retty or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds! Rich light of foot there. Bukashira! Tuesday, or maybe Wednesday, depending on how long Spotify takes to upload this. And you know what that means. Welcome to episode 68 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week as always, it is Gavin J. Baxter and Graeme Steele. Gents, how's it going? I feel like that is the Grand Theft Auto meme. The boys just walking down the streets. Ah, shit, here we go again. That's pretty much how I feel. I feel like Gav could save himself some time and just fish out the Dundee United episode. (laughs) but just dub over Dundee United with them and just release it. It's pretty much how I'm feeling. <laughs> well, I mean, first and foremost, contrary to what Gary might have implied there, other streaming services are available. Uh, secondly, True. Um, those that have followed my recent escapades journey to, to Norway, I was there at the beginning of the month. I've picked up some language, some of the local lingo, and, well, all I need to tell you, boys, is De Var Bash. If you know, you know. Sounds very much like they were pish. Was someone having you on? Close, but you're way off. <laughs> Dave Arbash. Dave Arbash. Lovely. Um, I'm going to get fired in now because it could be a long one. Yeah, this is very much a, a drink out of a commiseration more than any hint of celebration. In a week that saw, I, I, I've got nothing this week, boys, I'm not going to lie. Um. Can we poke fun at anything? We're not coming at this from a position of strength, are we? Not really. Should we move on? Yeah, let's get going. It's another busy week on the ABZ Football Podcast as we take a look back at our 4-1 defeat at Ibrox on Saturday. We'll take a look back at all the news from AB24. This week, we'll check in with the women's team and the young team. We'll then look ahead to the return of Friday Night Football at Pataudry as Hibs visit the home of football. And after the break... We're going to bring you the first instalment of our new semi-regular feature, my favourite game, and it's with the one and only Duncan Shearer. Sefco, 5088 Limited for Aberdeen 1, Saturday the 29th of October 2022. Mordor, the SPFL Premiership. An unchanged starting lineup from Jim Goodwin for the Dons' first visit to Govan this season. Hayden Coulson returning to the squad after missing out last week after the birth of his child. The Dons lining up in the same 3-5-2 formation as the last few games, and we might come back to the formation a little bit later. Despite all the signs of a weakened home side, it was they who started the brighter opportunities falling for Yilmaz, Tillman and Sakala in the opening five minutes before Yilmaz had to leave the field injured, replaced by Barisic. After weathering an early storm, though, the Dons began to settle into the game, and after three corners in quick succession, 
the Dons got themselves in front. Duke with some tremendous work in the inside left channel, finding himself in the box. And after turning King inside and out, sitting McGregor down, he cut in, looked to have been brought down by Tavenier. And as the ball broke, Connor Barron was the one man playing to the whistle and he lashed a fine finish high into the net for his first goal for the first team. And after a few passes back and forth amongst the midfield and defence for the home side, the natives were becoming, well, restless. And it looked like the Dons had them exactly where we wanted them. So cue us letting them right back into the game on 27 minutes. Cholak finishing from 12 yards after Tillman got in way too easily down the Dons' left-hand side. That goal was all the encouragement that the home side needed as they began to pin Aberdeen backwards, getting loads of joy in the wide areas, pulling McCrory and Scales out of position way too easily, leaving Stuart and Ramadani in particular badly exposed as the Dons' shape and system was being put to the test. And, well, let's just say failing miserably. And just when it looked as though Aberdeen were going to make it to halftime level, Barisic's free kick was cleared but fell to Tavernier. His effort was stopped by Roos, but King latched onto the rebound, squaring for Lundstrom to knock into an empty net. Halftime. 2-1 them. Amazingly, Aberdeen came out at halftime in the same system and lineup as had gone in at the break. And the Dons perhaps should have been level in the opening minute. Richardson's ball in met by Duke and he should have done better with his header as it sailed over. And that was about as good as it got for the Dons in the second half as Tavernier made it 3-51 on minutes, getting onto the end of a Barisic cross way too easily above McKenzie and scoring past Roos. VAR awarded a penalty to the home side on the hour mark. Who'd have thunk it? The ball rising up onto Richardson's arm after some miscontrol in the box by him. Potentially a harsh one going by the laws of the game, but unsurprisingly given. Tavernier though missing the resulting penalty as it smashed off the post out to safety. The Dons brought on Coulson and Duncan for Richardson and Barron on 63 minutes as the Dons finally decided to change shape into a back four before Bajouin replaced McKenzie on 70 minutes with Ramirez joining the fray for Miofsky on 77. Morelos who just come on, had a goal chopped off for offside before eventually he did score a fourth after a bar check for offside. That's as much time and effort as I'm going to give to talking about that game full time. 4-1 to the home side on the data side. Uh, not a pretty read. Possession 70% to 30% in favour of the home side. Total shots 36-5. to Shots on target 13-1. to So for the second week in succession, a 100% shots on target conversion rate. Great, maybe pleased to know from Aberdeen. Expected goals, 4.44 for the home side to not 0.42 for Aberdeen. Gents, um, where do we want to start with that one? It's quite late on Sunday, so I'm not sure we do want to start. Maybe just shut it down and move on to the next <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> it's just woeful. It's just utter... I mean, there's a bit of inevitability around not the fact that we scored, but as soon as we went one up in a game like that, as soon as that came through, it was like the old football cliche, it's too early. <laughs> and then, you know, I say whatever it was, I think it was actually six minutes, but like you'd mentioned when we were chatting before we came on, Roos had bailed us out once or twice in those six minutes. So they McCrory could have ahead. McCrory, as it was, Roos yeah. So like, it took six minutes and they, they had three really good efforts, one of which went in, or you know, clear-cut efforts. So you can't even hold out basically for any period of time. And then it was just inevitable what was going to happen. And I'm sure we'll torture ourselves and anyone who's listening to this by going into the details. Those goals, it's not a good look for a professional outfit. I use, uh, you can't see the sort of inverted commas around the word professional. Yes, but the bunny ears around the word professional there. 
and outfit. <laughs> well, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. Um, a stark reminder of how far we have to go. Um, a stark reminder of the Grand Canyon-sized gap that exists between the old firm and the rest of us. To be quite honest, I mean, we can laugh as much as we want about how bad they are in Europe against the teams they're up against. But you know, it makes you think like, Christ, we have came against Liverpool. What the hell would they do to us? Um, nothing. Calvin Ramsey would score eight own goals. Um. Graham says, Graham says, you know, I mean, I was kind of out for a walk with the um, the bag for life when this was all going down. And um, you see that we go 1-0 up and, you know, almost, almost immediately Rangers get the equaliser. And it's like, how many times can I think of times we've gone like a goal up against in a big game and we can't control it. We can't uh, take control of the game. And, you know, it brings back memories of the Scottish Cup final against Celtic where you get up to a good start and we get that goal and then Celtic immediately equalise. Think of times we play Rangers and Celtic or teams in Europe, you know, when they go 1-0 up and you just can't get the ball off them for 10-15 minutes, you know, these teams know how to manage the games and we just, regardless of managers, player systems just don't seem to be capable of doing that. And then I remember saying to uh, Matilda at 5-4, to four, I was checking my phone, like, I guarantee you they've scored right on halftime. And of course they had. From then, yeah, nowhere, no way back into it. And some very, very amateur goals um, conceded all round. Um, yeah, a really, really bleak day at the office for, for Aberdeen. I mean, you did just touch on there, Gav, about, you know, over time, you know, managers come and go, players come and go. We, we do different systems, different shapes, whatever. And we don't seem to be able to kind of go toe-to-toe with um, with either half of the kind of the Glasgow two in their own patch. I mean, I would suggest, you know, Stephen Glass probably had his finest uh, game as an Aberdeen manager in, in the game Ibrox last, was it October? The 2-2 draw, um, where we did kind of go toe-to-toe with him and we did kind of play our way out of trouble and we, we put in a really, really good showing. I mean, ultimately, it still ended in just a point, but we we, we did kind of go and, and I, I, that's a Rangers team who I think are significantly better than what this Rangers team are, um, which I think is the most galling thing about the weekend is that we build ourselves up and our manager at the same time builds up the team as well during the course of the week about how we're going to go to Ibrox and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and just completely, you know, shit the bed once again. I think there's so much to unpack out of the game, what this means. I think it's important, you know, I've seen a lot of people talking again about like people pant pushing and all this type of stuff about people question, having the temerity to question whether or not, um, we have the right guy in charge of the, the the team and we can come on to that, I guess, as we move through the, the deeper dive in the game itself. Um, I think in one way, the, the thing that I've seen Aberdeen go to Ibrox and go to Parkhead and ship four, five, and I've seen a ship nine, you know, um, and we've been poor in games and we've not really put up much of a challenge, but I've, I don't think I've seen... A performance like I saw yesterday where it was so glaringly obvious to anybody who has a pair of eyes on their functioning, watching the game, that can see where this is going wrong and nothing is being done to try and address it. Well, uh, on the note of um, the manager chatting to the media, I feel like ever since the uh, the Michael Hart comments back in the day of Jimmy Calderwood when we were in good form and he said, we're going to go there, we're going to fucking smash them. And we got scudded 5 0. I feel that any Aberdeen representative should not be allowed to talk before we go to Ibrox. Just doesn't, <laughs> yeah. just doesn't seem to, to bode well for us. 
at all. Um, it made me the chat about the the system and um, you know you watch the game, um, not even just the goals, but the chances Rangers created. You know our defensive players getting dragged all across the pitch, creating acres of space for their players. It made me think of what um, Joel said to us when we we're talking about um, Hearts and yeah. the game there. Whereas you know in football, quite often you need to people feel like they need to wait for things to go really badly before you make that change and that seems to be the case again where you know we've just we've waited and waited and waited hoping that maybe the, you know the damage will be limited and we'll get in maybe one one and then perhaps we can change things of course we'll come then, on to this in a minute of course then we concede that that second goal and it was inevitable you know we were clearing things off the line Roos is making saves you know it was there's no way we're gonna hold out for another another 45 50 minutes um and yeah, for them to come back out um, with the same setup, the same shape, this exact same personnel, it's, um, yeah, it's, make no mistake, it's concerning, it's, it's concerning the same way that, you know, we came out against Dundee United, if I remember rightly, shaped up the yeah. exact same way, um, made quick changes with them, um, with Clarkson and Bannon coming on, but, you know, the damage had already been done, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a perfectly fair comment to make that, um, we, it feels like we've, we're back in the situation with perhaps McInnes, perhaps with um, Stephen Glass later on in his tenure, where there is a, a management team that seem bizarrely hesitant in these games to display make changes. Um, yeah, it's not going to work out well for us. Let's 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 go into it then. I mean, the formation, the setup. I think that's the thing that got everybody talking yesterday when I looked at this. I mean, and this is the thing that galls me the most about what happened at Ibrox on Saturday is that you know again. I spoke about it last week when we looked at the kind of stadium stuff. If us three idiots, right, can take a look at a team and we can say the big threat from Rangers is down the wings. That's where they play. That's where they're going to continue to try and attack. Why on earth does it appear that no one in our coaching setup has picked this up? Because our setup and our formation on Saturday made it way, way too easy for Rangers to exploit this over and over and over again, they doubled up down the flanks, causing all sorts of issues to us, which meant that Scales and McCrory were often being pulled over to cover the wingback areas because they were doubling up on the wingbacks. We'll come on to the wingbacks later because the wingbacks didn't cover themselves in glory either here. Um, oh, no. which, which often meant that you had Stuart being left one-on-one with Cholak. Now, all three of our centre-halves had a nightmare yesterday, but I feel as so though the system and the, the setup really didn't help them at all in the way they were trying to in their overall performance of the game yeah uh, I think it's difficult we've spoken many times about what do you want out of a an Aberdeen team do you want to be offensive and exciting and attacking or do you want to be sort of the reverse ideally you know the sweet spot is some sort of blend of the two where you can attack and defend and also we've said they're particular been pretty vocal around you know maybe getting frustrated in previous regimes where we're always like changing or worried about the opposition trying to match up. There's a time where you have to be probably a little pragmatic and as much as it pains me to say the gap between us and them is such that going to take the game to them as much as you're on paper, you're like, yes, we're going down there to do something about it. If it leaves you like as exposed as it did, 
and it's pretty clear. I mean, I don't want to. I was going to say like one trick ponies. Everyone knows what they do. And the fact that you said Tavernier scored the most goals against us, for example, there's a guy who plays nominally in defence but tears up and down that wing, scores goals for fun, relatively speaking. The fact that he was basically allowed to do that is pretty inexcusable, to be honest. Um, it's not like he's just sort of burst onto the scene, had the game of his life, and now everyone knows what to do to mark him out of a game. That's just what he does and has done it for a long time. And we just seem to be like, yeah, that's fine, on you go. It's it's just uh, it, it's kind of worrying, actually, that I don't think... I mean, Rangers were not in great form. There was a drop point to Livingston. Coming in. Well, well, Ignoring well, the European that, well, stuff. Well, that's a little they, bit of a fallacy. They hadn't been playing particularly well. They've been getting well. results in the league. They hadn't been playing particularly well. Yeah. And you already saw if we'd been able to maybe hold out a little longer, fans were getting frustrated. It could have been this, that, and the next. I, I guess my point is they're not in great form, but they what they do is a little arguably one-dimensional, but they do it quite well, and you know they're going to do it. It's, it's not like they're... I don't feel they're particularly... Varied, maybe, and you know, Goodwin got caught out with them doing something different. They just played the way they play, and we made it quite easy for them. And that's quite this annoying. And the fact that it didn't team. change. No, I would, I would agree with that. But you know, unfortunately, they're a much better team than we are. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't disagree with that. But it's just to put it into context, I guess, is this is not a very good Rangers team, and this is an injury hit Rangers team, low in confidence. And with a team, you saw it when we had a goal up, and it was only for six minutes. But even in that six minutes, they had a little pass to play where they kind of passed it between the defence and the midfield. Exactly the stuff we spoke about last week, where there was this concern amongst Rangers supporters that they were too ponderous, and the fans were starting to get in their backs. And I think I spoke about it with somebody today on on Twitter. There are, you're right, Graham, in the sense of would I love to see Aberdeen go to Ibrox and to go to Parkhead and go toe to toe and go full blout? You know, we're going to impose ourselves on the game, and we're going to go all out attacking and we're going to really take the game to you. I'd love to see it. But even in our pomp, even in the early 80s, when we were the best team in Europe, we would go to Ibrox and we would go to Parkhead and the first thing we would do is make sure we didn't give away anything fucking stupid. And we would frustrate if we had to, to get the fans on their backs. And then we would allow our quality to come to the fore. To try and set up the way we did yesterday for me is just like so naive. It's not even funny. Well, come on to it. Gav, you were away to say something, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, first, I mean, I just say it. I think it's a little bit of a fallacy to suggest they're not in good form. I mean, yeah, Europe, they've been obviously terrible as well documented. But if you consider the Aberdeen game, that's now five wins and one draw the last six in the league. So I think maybe we got suckered in a little bit by the entitlement of Rangers fans to suggest thinking that they're, you know, in terrible form. That's just, I, I wouldn't take that as being true. But yeah, you're right. It is an injury hit team and they are. The natives are getting restless um, because of the situation, more or less the style of play. Um, and yeah, it's that it's that frustrating thing like where you, to beat Rangers or Celtic, you generally speaking need to score the first goal. And we do that. Um, I'm amazed we got that goal, by the way. I'm amazed Duke wasn't called up for diving. I'm amazed they didn't look at it back again on VAR. Um, I, I was convinced that that was going to be the case um, when I looked back and watched the highlights. Um <sighs> I don't remember us last week talking in a way where we wanted us to change our setup from what had been working for us in the Hearts and Motherwell games. And I think JJ Bull on Twitter has a, has a thread that I would encourage people to look at where he's analysed and 
I think found a lot of merit in the three at the back system, which I tend to agree with. But you know, we talk about you know car coaching staff not see things. We've got an entire analytic team at Aberdeen as well with all their shiny MacBooks watching games, and it seems like they're not communicating any messages effectively to the to the coaching staff either. But yeah, you need to in that situation. We have the personnel on the pitch, to my mind, where we can switch things up to more like a 4-3-3, more like a 4-5-1 uh, when we're out of possession to keep things compact and then, you know, reduce the space for Rangers to make those runs in. That's whether that's the wingers, whether that's the mid runners from midfield. It's, um, yeah, I mean, like I, I'm still a big fan of um, the manager. I still think that way. I think it would be rash to put any pressure on him as such. But I mean, yeah, it's it's not it's not a good look as Graham says. And yeah, we've suffered for the second time in a month. We've suffered big time away from home because of it. A couple of things out there. I mean, a, yeah, I don't think the three of us last week spoke about necessarily wanting to change formation at all. Because I think we, I think there's merits in the formation and what it allows us to do. Um, but we were highlighting the fact that this is what Rangers will do. And so you have to be able to counter that, which is where the issue comes. JJ's thread's a good thread about the virtues of a 3-5-2 or a 3-1-4-2, depending on how you want to look at it, set up with the personnel we have. The one thing I would say, and I, I raised this with somebody yesterday, is that JJ's analysis is fine if people are actually doing their jobs on the pitch. And when they're not, the management and the coaching team have to adapt to that. Or if, or, or if your system or if your setup is getting overrun or outthought, you have to be able to adapt to that. And that's where we come to the next point, I think, is the failure to address the issues with the setup. Because it was obvious again after 20 minutes this wasn't working. But it took us until 63 minutes to change our shape. And for me, that's a massive concern I have about Goodwin. I know, Gav, you're saying that maybe it's still too early to be putting pressure on the manager. But is it? I mean, is this any better than what was happening under Stephen Glass? Well, in in in, in real terms... Um going beyond the game with Ibrox, Ibrox um, Pitaudry is a more enjoyable place for me to go. So, yes, I would say so. And we are in a much better position in the league and we are in a semi-final of a cup. Um, we're, Aberdeen are not going to go anywhere if after six months we start, you know, hammering the alarm bell every time a manager is not getting it right instantly. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, there's no history in Scottish football of, at our level clubs changing manager every six months and not leading to any kind of success. We can't be talking about long-term projects and managers needing one or two or three transfer windows to get things right. And then suddenly after one summer, after a, listen, it was a terrible result. Definitely. But fuck me. Been, been at Ibrox for 30 years. How many times have we won? I, th I think that last point, unfortunately, is valid. So there's an, there's an element of, for whatever reason, generally speaking, it doesn't matter who's been in charge and how good or bad the players and the teams have been and what they've accomplished in the season, we don't usually do too well. So I take your point there. I think it's the it's sort of the naivety or yeah. that, or I don't know, like... The weird thing is I expect the naivety from a rookie coach, which Stephen Glass was. Yeah, yeah. Um, Goodwin's not a rookie coach. And I don't know if it's um, misplaced confidence in his players that they'll get it or is it an ego thing where he's decided you know I know what I'm doing and my system's the right way to go players maybe not 
reacting or doing what he's telling them to do. I mean, we just look at the pitch and like, oh, the manager must have set them up and told them to do that. Well, they might have done, but I don't know what instructions they're getting during the game, and they either don't understand them or they're not acting if they're getting instructions. So you know, there's a bit more to to it than just looking from the outside in. But I think the fact that we were getting cut open pretty much every time, and it wasn't, I mean, some of it wasn't exactly sterling play. What was it? Was it the second goal? Where Sands just sort of rolls it in and then they just roll a ball in and the guy's through and that's it. It's not like it's sort of, was it the second goal? I think it was the second goal. Lundstrom, basically a tap in. Oh, yeah. It was one of the, it was the off the line or the roost save that I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just a couple, it's like basically a a pass in midfield with no pressure, a pass in midfield with no pressure, and all of a sudden, Scales is nowhere, and McCrory's nowhere, and Stewart's nowhere. It's it's one of them as well, where I think as well, you you know, I think I'm not trying to argue that the system and the setup, you know, the tail, the tail of the tape tells the story that it wasn't effective. But at the same time as well, I mean, if you look at the, the goals one by one, Jim Goodwin's not telling Ramadani to let his runner go. I'm not letting, I'm not letting, and then like, I think everyone else, it's almost like the ball is what we're attracted to. And the idea that there might be other Rangers players on the pitch is fucking alien. It was a little primary school-esque, wasn't it? Where you can tell where the ball is because you just see a pocket of kids on an area of the pitch. And then you know where the ball's probably going to go because Cholak's alone on the 12, on the penalty spot. And no one thinks to mark him. It's it's fucking scandalous. I'm going to yeah. quote Ramadani in a minute yeah. because Ramadani is one of the people I feel was really badly exposed by the system yesterday. Um, I just want to t- circle back on the glass again really quickly because, and the reason I, I, did I you just say circle back? I did say circle back. Yeah. Oh dear. I know. Um, I want to come back to it really quickly because I know that there'll probably be people because this is what I get to do by being the kind of like inferred host of things i get to play devil's advocate and i get to throw stuff out for you guys to discuss and that's what we do the reason i asked the thing about glass and i could i know i can hear people now shouting at their stereo or their car stereos stereo they're that's how old i am they're they're They're, beatboxes they're beatboxes (laughs) when they're walking the dog um moaning about how long the podcast is um why their beatbox is so heavy with those was it d-sized batteries (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know um, shouting to their car multimedia player, whatever it is, um, about this and going, oh, of course it's better. I mean, obviously, on, on on the home form is way better. Let's you can't deny that our home form is a lot better than it is was under glass at this point. We do appear to have sorted the home stuff out. Um, although again, maybe there's a little bit of context that we have played ten men uh, twice at home. I think um, as I make it, um, but we have been more encouraging at home. Away from home, though, our record is just as bad, if not worse, potentially, than what it was under Stephen Glass. I mean, we've conceded. It's, it's, yeah, never mind. We've conceded four goals now on two occasions in the league away from home. We've conceded three on two occasions already in the league as well. Um, last season, the, the, the most we conceded in a league game was three in a game, which we did twice. But even in those games, we didn't lose either of those games by a margin greater than one goal. We appear to have a very, very soft underbelly to us that when the going gets a bit tough and we saw it at Easter Road we saw it at Tannadice and we've seen it at Ibrox now that when the going gets a bit tough we capitulate and that wasn't something we saw last season under glass I will give him that although we were still losing games but we weren't losing games in the same kind of manner that we are at the moment 
I mean, when I was at Dens Park in October last year, the one thing I was not thinking was this is a sturdy, hardy team that I'm watching right now for Aberdeen. I, I'm not denying that. Soft, I'm soft, looking, I mean, I'm a soft looking... underbelly is exactly what I thought of when I think of Stephen Glass's manager. Well, that's fair enough. That is absolutely fair enough. This anyway, is a let's... slightly wild take. What you're saying is we want Stephen Glass in as some sort of away manager. Is that what you're telling us? No. As a way manager. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I like, I like, I like it? that. It's like it's like the NFL. You have like yeah. a defense yeah. and a... That's what Gary's side. saying. It's like, oh, yeah, where are we playing today? And an away a home team. Exactly. I'm we're not... at Patojas, so we'll get to see Jim. Oh, no, we're away from home. Jim's got the weekend off and Stephen Glass has been wheeled out. Are we actually... Stephen Glass with his two away wins last season. That's where we're. That's where we are. No, I'm just. I'm. I'm just. Jesus contextualizing. I am just contextualizing the fact that, that, from a defensive perspective, we're certainly not I any feel, better than we were last season. I feel anyway, like we're, that's I feel, a valid point. I feel like we're in some kind of weird parallel you, universe Graham. where. Remember, like Stevie May, towards the end of his time, the less he played, the better he got amongst the view amongst some Aberdeen fans. I, I liked know. him more the less he played. But uh, that yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, the point is, the defence Anyone is... who knows Graham, anyone who knows Graham, my relationship will know Graham does not agree with me. <laughs> very often. The defence right. is woeful this season, and it was woeful last season, so there's little to no improvement on that side, and that is both alarming and surprising. We are scoring more goals, though. Say we're worse. We are scoring more goals, though. We're scoring more goals, which is fair enough, but if you're constantly shipping daft goals... It's just going to come back and bite you over the course of which, the season, which is what we were doing all of last season. So, uh, but that, that yeah, is the point where we are yeah, we, we are splitting we are splitting hairs over crap defenses. Yeah, okay. Let's um, move yeah. on. I thought I would just have to say, shit, that's that's it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. really worried about the fact this has just fucking derailed the whole thing. So, anyway, um, yeah, but it's a very similar again though between Glass and Goodwin from this perspective. This kind of stubbornness and unwillingness to recognise what is happening on the pitch and doing something about it. I cannot believe we went to 63 minutes yesterday doing nothing in terms of shape. I'm going to share this out on the Twitter page when we put the um, podcast out. If you don't follow us on Twitter, go ahead and do it at ABZ Podcast. Uh, the only reason I'm going to say that is because that's where we tend to do most of our work from a social media perspective. And when we put graphics out, we put them on there because I frankly can't be arsed doing it. Also, one. we're like a bar head away from, from 5,000 followers. So and that's, that as well. Know, that's all that being on social media is about. Exactly. Numbers. Anyway, um, look at our average position map from yesterday. Just well, Duke's offside most of the time. It. it is unbelievable. Discuss. Um, I like the schoolboy, school playground approach of our midfield. And uh, Boyan Miofsky, who I'm, I'm guessing that, I'm guessing he must have taken the kickoffs. Guessing that justifies his um, average position. And then, yeah, I mean, you see such... The back three is so stretched. It's crazy to look at. And in a game where, you know, the, the stats don't lie, we're under the cosh, most of it for our wing backs to be that far forward and never to be addressed. I mean, I don't even know what to make of that. It's crazy talk. It's like us at goals. Gary doesn't get that forward these days. Yeah, that's fair enough. He's, a, he's in the Ross McCrory position hitting his um, quote-unquote dinky Dinky bars dinkies, over the top. Yeah, dinkies that don't work and needlessly putting people into the boards because he thinks he's a hard man. <laughs> That's about the extent of it. Yeah, I was going like on the position map. If you looked at that and someone and you said like that was us for the first 15 or 20, you might look at it and think, okay, we went down there, tried to be bold, but we're getting caught out. What does the map look like? 
for you know the remaining 60 minutes when we obviously changed it and tightened it up. But the fact that that is the map for 90 minutes is pretty embarrassing, actually. It's absolutely insane how just congested our three midfielders are as well. There's In that. a game like that, when there's so much, when Rangers are running as like, you know, the wings and you can watch the tape, but you can see that there's the, the midfielders are making lots of runs. I mean, it's just crazy. And then, yeah, like I say, just how stretched our back three is. The gaps and... between our back three was terrifying all day yesterday. And this mainly comes down to the fullbacks, uh, to the wingbacks. I cannot get my head around the fact that, yeah, that basically what Jaden Richardson is the third most advanced player. He's basically leveled Miofsky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you're splitting splitting hairs on that one. He was obviously receiving the kickoffs from Miofsky. But look how narrow Richardson and McKenzie are as well. They're not even hugging the touchline. Yeah, everyone's within um, everyone's within the penalty box with the penalty box. It's horrendous stuff. And the the, the Goodwin's post match interview on Red TV had me well proverbially kicking the dog because I would never do that, obviously. Because um, he was saying, <laughs> that, all, right, "All right, Kurt Zuma." <laughs> um, anyway, Goodwin was. Um, post-match saying that he was hoping we could get to halftime level so we could make some changes right and then it's like okay fair enough kind of like, but then we go in at 2-1 down and he doesn't make any changes what the actual fuck that's one of them where you can okay you can kind of understand in a sense that okay halftime and get the men and well you can kind of understand in a way that he'll maybe get the team in at halftime and then he can talk to them in more detail, you know, get the Simon Grayson's flip chart out and go through the changes they're going to make. But then again, you like to think that we're going into games with, you know, more than one strategy or more than one tactic in mind so that in during the game we can perhaps go about making those changes. But yeah, like you say, to to then just come out again at halftime when we're 2-1 down and so far, so far out of the game, and then to just, you know, uh, it's crazy talk. It's just repeating the I've same plan so, again. Yeah. And, you know, and um, yeah. When do, when do they score their third? 51 minutes. So That's yeah, we, so we suffer um, almost immediately as a result of it. So, I've yeah, seen somebody say though, because, oh, I've seen somebody try to say, oh, because we went in at 2-1 down, he can't change it the way he was thinking about changing it because we have to score again now. And I'm like, okay, maybe. Yeah. But we were being so badly overrun. It doesn't matter if it's 1-1 or 2-1 at that point. I'm expecting us to go in and tighten ourselves up for the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half so that we're still in the game. And then you go, it's 2-1 with 20 minutes to go. Now we go back attacking again. Now we try and get something out of the game. Uh, I Coming mean, back out again in the same setup and the same system with what, and the same personnel from what we've done in the first half was just like, what are we doing? I do not understand this. Yeah, I mean, like 45 minutes is still a long time in a game of football. You can just go and make that change to make yourself more difficult to score against. And that doesn't mean you have to completely eradicate your attacking threat in any way, shape, or form. We can still go into that second half with Duke and Miofsky up front. I mean, off the top of my head, I'd probably have brought like maybe someone like Leighton Clarkson off the pitch and probably Richardson, to be fair, throwing Matty Kennedy and um you know get Ross McCrory, get Ross McCrory into center midfield to be more combative to try and match the running to get him away from Ryan Kent, who absolutely fucking rinsed him all day. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, another wide player, another attacker we could bring on who will still be, you know, be capable of doing a shift um, in the defensive areas. Uh, yeah, this is, um, yeah, this is one I, this is one I can't, this is one I can't get my, uh, I can't get my head around. And I've not listened to the interview because I've, I've seen everyone talk about it and I, 
to be honest, when we get beat, I don't really care what people have to say because it's usually the same old cliched bollocks about how while well, we were while well, we're hurting, we're really hurting, you know, we'll go again next week, and it's like, yeah, whatever, yeah. You forgot to mention that there's usually positives you can take out of a four-one going on eight-one scudding. Did he go? Mark, did he go full Mark McGee? <laughs> he didn't go full <laughs> Mark McGee. And in fairness to him, he did. He did say you know issues around tactics and stuff should be at his door. So you know at least he's hung, held his hands up to that. But, but that's well, just easy. I find it baff. I find it baffling that a top-flight manager has gone. I need to get them in at halftime to make the changes. And I, I, I actually don't have a massive issue about this idea about waiting to halftime to make the changes because. I get it, it's the time you've got 15 minutes with them in a room, not surrounded by the kind of noise of the stadium and all that to try and impart what you want to do. But for us to go in and do nothing different baffles the hell out of me. Jim Goodwin needs to find Derek McInnes' stationery so he can get letters onto the players. <laughs> I think, I know you're coming from, had he not said I wanted them in at half time to make the changes and then proceeded to make no changes... Obviously, we wouldn't have been yakking about this for five, ten minutes. We'd have just been annoyed that it it was pretty clear that there was a problem uh, and it wasn't dealt with. But the fact that he's basically acknowledged, yeah, I know there's a problem, and then I chose not to do anything about it. Well, that that's yeah. my interpretation of his wording. It's just utter nonsense. Just don't 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 say it. And I also don't understand how like I get the whole 15 minutes to impart, but it's a squad be, of yeah. it's a squad yeah. of guys that he knows now. They're professional players- footballers. How, like, surely you must go into a game saying, like, we're going to set up like this, but if something happens, like, for example, if someone gets injured, right, you kind of just know what you're going to do. So surely it can't be that hard to get across, I don't know, right, we're switching to a four. Everyone must know where they fit. Where they're going in, in the four. Yeah, so, like, I don't understand why it takes a group of 11 professional footballers. Why does he need 15 minutes to explain where everyone needs to stand on the pitch? I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, obviously, I've never experienced playing in a team in that situation where tactics are being changed during a match. So maybe it's not as easy as I'm imagining, but you surely you don't go into the Saturday and be difficult. like, we're playing, we're playing three at the back and, and that's it. And then when he wants to change it, everyone's like, oh, never, never thought of that. What, what do I do? Where do I go? It's not difficult if you've got proper leaders on the pitch. You yeah. can impart. I mean, great, like fucking hell. I mean, like even base level, when we, when we play goals on a, on a Thursday night, right? How quickly are you able to go, right, I can see what's kind of happening here. And amongst a team of five, sometimes guys who've never even met themselves before can kind of arrange themselves in a system that makes them go, right, well, I know what I'm going to do and this is, going to, this is how we're going to approach this for the next little while. Like, it doesn't always work, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, no, but you, people, you... <laughs> people are reading the game and seeing what's happening and seeing what's happening in front of them and going, right, I know what I'm going to do now. It's, it's it's one of them yeah. where you've watched Gary wrestling on the ground with someone and you just think to yourself, all right, I'll I'll take him for a little bit because this is getting <laughs> a bit feisty. Yeah, yeah. He's going to go home in a body bag and I don't have to explain <laughs> that. So I'll just mark up someone else. I, I think I guess the point is between the coaching staff and the players on the pitch, I guess that responsibility of adapting in match is shared between them all, I would think. Because I don't think it can be the case that the 11 players out there, oh, this isn't working, but the manager hasn't told us to change anything, so I better not do anything. Surely you're going to take responsibility on the pitch, or that's the point of the captain and your experienced players, surely to be saying, but I know this is what we've been told to do, but this guy is this getting better working. of me. Or, yeah, or that guy, you know, I don't know, at corners, like, why are you always marking that massive guy? I'm going to go and take him or swap it around. Might not be what you imagined in the training, but you just see a scenario and you're like, well, I can, 
I'm better equipped to mark that guy. So I'm going to take him and you take my guy, something like that. But it just seems like everyone's waiting for someone else to make a yeah. decision. And then nothing gets done because everyone's just sort of passing the buck. It, it is a game where um, I, I feel, I know you're talking about anti strip perhaps being exposed by my, by the setup, but you look at it, and there's just, in so many of the highlights, it looks like we don't have a midfield. Well, uh, let's talk and this is where I, I tend to think that, yeah, as Graham said, this is something like Anthony Stewart needs to be calling the Barons, the Clarksons, even the Dukes and Ramanaz as well, just get closer and, you know, cut this space off because this is fucking ridiculous. And yeah, it, it looks like that's just not happened at all. It's an interesting week for Jim Goodwin. We talk about the leaders in his team. Yeah. The Stewarts, um, uh, Roos, McCrory, um, I don't know who else he said. I think it might have been Ramadani. Ramadani, or, yeah. And yeah, leadership is, yeah. I've not seen any evidence of that um, at Tanadice or at Ibrox. Yeah, it's very important. Let's look at the midfield because I think everyone's focused in so much on the, the defence in the last couple, last week for hours. But midfield, like we, we were extolling the midfield last week after the game at Fur Park. I think we thought this could be a, a, a mix that looked like it was dovetailing well together, quite fluid. But holy shit, completely overran in the centre of the park again. Um, it looked to me watching that Clarkson and Barron had very little idea between the two of them um, as to when or who they were meant to pick up out of the five players that the Rangers had kind of in the midfield to attacking areas, um, which meant more often than not, they had nobody, um, which meant that Ramadani was really, really badly exposed. I thought I actually thought Ramadani had a pretty good game until he got booked. And then he seemed to really go into shell a little bit at that point and probably worried a little bit about getting a second booking, I imagine. But because he was being so badly overran, he seemed to, he, he really struggled because he had no idea which meant which player he was meant to be marking because there was runners just going everywhere off him. I mean, I saw people criticizing people about players running off him yesterday, but if you go back and look at some of it, it's like he's marking like two or three players at a time sometimes. And I mean, Gav, I've seen you flash me that look at goals often enough when you feel I'm not tracking back that if you're marking two or three players at any given time, it's, it's not an easy shift. You're in that sort of no man's land, aren't you? Where you, do you go to the ball, in which case... Obviously, the guy with the ball just plays it to the guy you've just left and he's spare and you look like an idiot. Do you stick with the guy that you're sort of with so that he can't receive the ball, in which case someone runs past you and you look like an idiot? So, Do you try and play oh, like that blocking position where you can try and block passes? Well, or, well then you sort like, of try and you like, you like mark the middle and try yeah. and guess where it's, you know. The, the point is, which I think is a valid one, everyone looks at the defence, ah, oh, it's crap, but there's a, you know, there's a whole... There are a lot of players that have been bypassed before yep. you're at the defence. Oh yeah. So it is a team game, and if your defence is getting overrun, the theory surely... is that you defend from the attack from the front, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. By the time the ball has got to the defender and or goalkeeper, it probably means other people before them haven't done their job. And if the defence is continually being overrun, and especially when you look at that graphic and the midfielders are all basically sort of huddled around, like like almost like at a in a straight line from the penalty box to the centre circle, not coming out to try and deal with the the width that they were exploiting in terms of their attacking, then it's a pretty tough shift for the defence when they're just continually being attacked and they don't really have any, any backup. And then obviously you have that silly situation where if you do maybe um, stop the attack, you don't actually have an outlet because everyone's sort of huddled around in the middle fighting over each other for the space. I do still think, though, in the case, and I, 
you know, can't see the full frame of what he sees um, in and around him. I just don't think on the first goal, you'd have to prioritize where the danger is. And I do still think you should do better in terms of tracking the runner that makes the ultimately makes the assist for, for Cholak to score. What, the run from Tillman? Yeah. Uh, no, but the run, it comes up the... It comes up our left flank. It, it, do, it does, but it's it's Ramadani's man. Yeah, see, I, okay. Um, Ramadani's the closest to him, and I can see that he's making the run. And Stuart's going. I don't even know where Stuart's going, and it leaves this massive gap. That no um, idea. Anyway, yeah, that, but okay. yeah, I still think that he should. It wasn't. It, well, it doesn't. We're splitting hairs. None of them in the midfield. No, nobody generally speaking game. performed well. Uh, I thought Ramadani played well first. First, until he got booked, I thought Ramadani was having a good game i thought he was doing what we were needing him to do but yeah um after that it, it wasn't great um let's quickly wrap this up a little bit like the two up top is fine i like to see he's being a bit more attacking but this only works if you get the balls to the strikers um Miowski touched the ball 20 times during his time on the park before he got substituted i mean most of the time he watched the ball just sailing over his head to um mcgregor i've seen people again come like give Miowski some stick um for yesterday I really don't see it, to be honest with you. I, I'm not entirely sure what he's meant to do uh, in a game like that. In the highlights I've seen, I don't think Miofsky touches the ball. So um, I, I can't comment on what he did with the ball on those um, those 20 times that he touched it. I assume about four or five of them are taking kickoff. So <laughs> well, good job. Um, so it's hard to kind of comment on it. Could he have done better? Should he have done better? I mean... Um, Duke only touched it 36 times. That's the fewest uh, yeah, touches about, by anyone about, who was on the park for And about minutes. nine of them are in the build-up to the goal. And that's also true. <laughs> um, Just about, I was going to say so, 20, but your point is, all of them were in that move. Before his, um, before he um, takes a tumble, shall we say. Um, Duke's probably the only guy that comes out of the game with any credit yesterday, to be honest. His work rate was good. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with Miofsky, I mean, the one thing I would say is, he is statuesque at the second goal for Rangers. Yeah, he's not alone in that, though. He's not alone, but there's about three yeah, or four yeah. people that are just watching um, the boy who pulls him back to Lundstrom. And even then, I think that's a 50-50 that Jaden Richards could win. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So it's just, again, it kind of comes back to what the but it's just the thing about it. It's, it's, it's a parallel well last year. It's all very like, well playing two up top, isn't it? But if you're not going to get the ball to him, you may as well take one out of there and put an extra man in the midfield. If your plan is just to launch it, then get someone who can play to that oh, yeah. style. I mean, in that case, then just keep the pace and the explosiveness of Duke up front. and Yeah, and just yeah, drop get, another body get an in extra midfield. body or you know, someone... Someone like Kennedy. Deep, someone someone deeper someone like legs. Kennedy. It's not even like someone like Duncan, you know, someone yeah. that's not going to play right up top can be like uh, defensive if your tactics the shell and get someone with pace who can just chase it down and that will get you better possession better territory might make the defenders make a mistake because they've got someone who's quick if you're just shelling it i mean that's not Miofsky's game from what i've seen no uh this is waste just wasted so don't bother with the two or recruit the batting ram so that you can shell it for someone who can win it and or hold it and allow your teammates to get into the game there's little point in having a footballer who's pretty good at football, but that's just not his strength. And you just decide, oh, we're just not going to play at your strengths and just punt it up. It's just pointless. And all it does is just gives the ball back to the opposition anyway. So Graham, if you could if you could sign any battering ram up front, who would it be? Oh, good Ooh, question. That is like good... It. I think I know the answer. Who are you going to say? I, I think you'd fucking love Troy Deeney at Aberdeen. Oh, aye, like a prime Troy Deeney, yeah. Oh, that would have been incredible. Can you imagine? 
boy's just bouncing off him. Well, that'd have been brilliant. But yeah, he's 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 a little bit past it these days. Who would you pick, Kev? Within the confines of Scottish football, uh, it doesn't need to be battering ram. Give us a a curveball battering ram. Andy mm. Carroll's still playing. I'm just saying, <laughs> Andy Carroll. Where is he now? Is he at Reading? Reading, Reading I believe. Yeah, Reading, a yeah. battering ram made of chocolate. <laughs> well, yes, I, yeah, I would want a resilient, robust battering ram. Something like we've we've never had in my time. We've never really had a proper, full on like. I think Curtis May was meant to be. Yeah, yeah but he wasn't, but... was he? Curtis no. May apparently was doing very, very well for St. Mirren at the moment. I've heard some St. Mirren fans saying that he's like the second coming of Messi. But oh, he's, he's, Do you see the hit he had, I think, maybe last week? Yeah. Like 30 yards, he like, takes out of his feet and hits off the crossbars. Incredible maybe we misjudged him. Maybe we misjudged him. Um, we didn't. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, <laughs> no one comes to mind, I'm afraid. I would have gone... Kevin Kyle, why the fuck not? <laughs> oh, dear, Gavin. Oh, dear. I do kind of like a story about Xander Diamond. What story is that? Um, I think he commented that the player that annoyed him the most was Xander Diamond because he just complained all the time to the referee. And so one time he was just like, so fuck, I'm going to be something to complain about. So he two-footed him. Well, right, Xander Diamond is a Celtic fan. And Celtic fans do like to complain about lots of things. I saw, I actually saw a tweet tonight, which I feel like I need to pull up now. Um, it was a Celtic fan. They're, they're still having a massive whinge about... Um, VAR for some reason they they won 3-0 this afternoon just for the record and this guy has pulled up the stats from remember the game that beat us 2-1 at Patojo last season um, Gary Woods was in goals Matty Longstaff's finest 90 minutes um, yeah 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 the, right. early on in the season yeah earlier on it was their first away win under Postacog their first away whenever right it got them going they basically won beaten from that point to win the league and he's pulled out the fact that in that game they had 27 fouls given against them and this apparently was a massive show of conspiracy that John Beaton had against them in that game. And it's like, guys, you won that game 2-1. You went on to win the league at a canter. The fact that apparently there was 27 fouls given against you in that game, we had like 10 or something, is not really the conspiracy theory that you think that it is. I don't care for Fucking them. madness. So I don't honestly. know why you're wasting your time. Just, just one of these... Life is short... Like, I do not understand this. I, do I mean, this. ever since the um, any one of the cup semifinals, we've been thrashed by Celtic when yeah. um, the train got delayed and um, oh, they man. were oh, the the Celtic hordes were banging on about how this was a Protestant conspiracy. I've um, paid very little attention to what um, well either side of them have to say about because it it goes both ways. There's there's such entitlements. It's incredible. It's, it's it's absolutely hilarious, is what it is. To be fair, the absence it, of self awareness. It's you could yes. study this for your entire life. Could be an interesting thesis, couldn't it? I don't know if, if it's not, if it's, if it's not been used. done already. I'd be quite shocked. Anyway, uh, for the record, my battle line would be uh, Adebayo Akinfenwa. The beast. Oh, that would be interesting. That would have that been would amazing. Be if we could have got a shirt big enough. Well, fit. I was going to say they'd have to take one of the duvets at the club shop. <laughs> just sort of like cut some holes for arms and that in there which let I'd quite put, like to see let me put forward a proposal Akinfenwa and Troy Deeney <laughs> with Drogba to come off the bench you're probably unstoppable winning, you're, you're probably unstoppable I love the idea of Drogba off the bench by the way like he, him having to watch on as Akinfenwa and Deeney are playing ahead of him Hey. Oh, some light light relief in a some light relief otherwise gloomy talk, episode <laughs> before we talk about our wing backs. Um, Richardson and McKenzie, like, well, these are not battering rams. 
No, they're really not. These are um, not heavyweights. This, um, thankfully, this is the last thing we're going to talk about, about the game on Saturday. Because there's been so much talk about the setup, the formation, etc. I, I kind of really do struggle to believe that Jim Goodwin told or intentionally set these two guys up to pay as little attention as possible to the defensive side of the game as they ended up doing. Um, I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm doing them a disservice. But in a game like that, surely, especially with the way that it developed after the kind of opening 20 minutes, the wingbacks are going to have to decide to play a little bit deeper. Um, even off their own back, they have to use their own game intelligence when they see what's happening from the opposition. And you kind of almost go like 5-3-2 for a period to try and just defend. <laughs> because there was not an awful lot of that going on. And the third goal is horrendous um, on all sorts of different levels. Just like left wing back... Coulson's obviously our number one choice in there, but I'm not entirely convinced by him as a defender, although he's very good going forward. But the fact we only have Jaden Richardson as an out-and-out right-back on the books as a wing-back is is deeply worrying. I've tried to give the kid as much breathing room as I possibly can, but I'm I'm verging now to the point where I'm like, this is unsustainable. For the sake of my blood pressure, he would benefit from a few weeks on the bench. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to draw continuous parallels between professional law and our games at fives <laughs> because that seems uh, oh, I know. You're about to. tenuous at best who's about to but, be called um, Richardson all I was going to say is that yeah we've, we've played in games where things are not going your way and you just want to get hold of the ball or just be difficult to score against and you do tend to drop it I mean these guys have played football for long enough to know that um or at least in my in my thinking, they have. I mean, Jaden Richardson has played a couple of years in Notts County, at least off the top of my head. Um, maybe one year. Not quite sure how long he was at there. Was Six there months, before, actually. Played, but... um, to an extent, it's irrelevant. But Jack McKenzie, played. Jack McKenzie's played in around the first team at Aberdeen for now roughly eighteen months, whenever he's fit. Um, yeah, they they should know. I th- I suspect they were the intention was to press them high to pin back the. The Rangers fullbacks, when that's not working, that either, which is the then thing. clearly that's when you need to drop deeper, as you say. Um, Richardson, oh, let's let's deal with him first of all. Um, he's had a lot of opportunities. He's played near enough every game he's been available for off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, it's not ideal. If we're going to do the three at the back, um, if we're going to persist with that, then I'm all for Matty Kennedy getting a run there. It's not ideal, but it's it can't be worse than what Richardson's been providing lately. And when we get to January, that's in a position we have to really um, seriously address it's that difficulty there when you suddenly have Richardson tied up to a three-year deal. The whole the- if he's not going to be up to the up to scratch, then you know we're going to either be begging around clubs to take him away from us, or we're going to have to you know part with some cash to, to get him off the books if he's simply not up to it. And Jack McKenzie, I mean... <sighs> I feel for the whole time I've been watching Aberdeen actively as a supporter, we've had guys in and around the first team who are there because they've come to our system and it's not really relevant if they're good enough or not. And I feel that he might be the next incarnation of Mackey, McLennan, Campbell. Um, he's, he's, he could be fine against the Motherwells and the hearts of this world, but, you know, um, Christ almighty, if we went up, cup final or a semi-final with Jack McKenzie at left back I'd be really concerned because I don't think he's good enough going forward I don't think he's good enough as a defender um, 
his effort or his lack of effort for the third goal when Tavernier gets above him is scandalous. Um, reminds me of the Hibs goal when he sees the danger and doesn't do anything about it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's up to it. Simple as that. I've, I've had enough of a sample size with Jack McKenzie, and I don't think he is going to cut it as an Aberdeen player. I can see where you're coming from with the third goal. He was watching it back, and you know the ball goes into the net, and he's arms up. But I don't know what he's complaining about, like the fact that his opponent challenged for the ball is allowed, and it happens quite often. So I don't know what the jumped for the ball. Yeah, I don't know what he was because I didn't really see anything wrong. I mean, Tavernier's not even as much as difficult to give them any slack. He's not even arms all over him in a sort of classic. Why was that not var? It should have been a foul. He he gets up for the ball as Mackenzie should have been doing. Uh, Mackenzie's just sleeping, doesn't realise anyone's there, which is not the first time and probably not the last time we'll be saying that. I'm kind of struggling to see, as much as I would like it to work, I'm getting a little bit, it just feels like he has a, he has a good game or a reasonable game and then there's a couple of games of just dross and it's difficult to see is he really the answer. And the same with, I mean, Richardson, fair enough, he's relatively new to etc. but I've not been overly impressed. It goes back to like you were saying, if he's, he must know himself, like we're getting overrun. So surely I should be just dropping deep or like he's got experienced teammates around him in the defence and in the midfield. Surely you just know, I, I can't be, like the intention might be bold from Goodwin to say, yeah, go and give them something to think about. We know they're good in the wing, the wide areas. So you go and push up with McKenzie and then they have to think about us great if it works brilliant it obviously wasn't working surely with the experience they've got and everyone else in the team they just kind of know they need to drop back but then that begs the question even if he does I'm still not certain he can just do the yeah, defensive work and that that's what worries me the most is early on I thought maybe he was unsure of his role in the team or we're trying to push on and he's getting caught out and maybe you can kind of see how that might happen but now I'm not certain even if he was told just go out and be a sort of like a traditional right back, just do some actual defending. I'm not sure either of them up to just the actual defending, which it goes back to sort of the original point. The system's not necessarily the issue, but it becomes an issue if you don't have the personnel to play it. Yeah. So like fundamentally having three at the back, there's pros and cons to it. And if we decide that as a club, that's what we want to do, I don't actually really care, but you have to have people that can do it. And if you don't have them this season, then you need to come up with a way of getting the best out of what you've got. And then obviously you shift your recruitment to, here's what we want to do and here's how we want to set up. So we need guys that are basically lifers in that sort of system. That's what they've done at the youth team. That's what they've done in their first team experience. So they slot into it. This sort of, we want to play away and we're just going to chuck guys into it doesn't really oh. work out too well. I was just going to say, we can't talk about Jaden Richardson's performance without talking about the handball, um, which, you know what? I mean, to my understanding of the handball rule, which it's, is it's not a penalty kick. which is pretty um, limited because it seems like it's a pretty fucked up rule as well. Because it's like, you know, if, you know, a defender smashes the ball from one yard off the attacker's hand and then the attacker puts it in the net, it's a, it's a handball. But my understanding is that if it's like an unintentional deflection off your body onto your hand, that's not, I think I came up perhaps last week in England or somewhere else, or maybe it was during the international break. I'm not quite sure when it was, but 
in saying that, if you're that clumsy with the ball that it deflects off about three parts of your body before hitting your hand, kind of not like much in the way of sympathy for you. So um, yeah, uh, I know. I mean, ultimately, it, I mean, ultimately, it didn't really matter at the end of the day what happened with that VAR decision. Although I did at the time think it was scandalous because my understanding of the rule was the same as that if it deflects off your own body up on your hand and you just and you don't catch it and pop it down then it's it's not going to be a, oh, a kill this is all right then <laughs> um that's harsh i don't think i don't think kill had any chance with any i don't goals. think kill had anything really. i don't think he deserves any criticism no no Saturday. maybe him and in the game two. him and extent. Extent. probably the two that comes out with any sort of i thought Roos made some really good hit. saves where he was quite quick off his yeah. line to to shut down the attacker so um yeah. i don't think he deserves any grief um, all in all, I think, you know, I mean, <laughs> all in all, I mean, I think it's pretty clear the, the right back, right wing back area needs to be addressed in the January window. I think there's no way we can continue for the rest of the season and the way we're going. I think to, to be quite brutal about the whole thing, I think the entire defence needs a proper look at in the January window. Um, Gav, I know you're a big fan of Ross McCrory. Um, oh, no. He no, was, he's, he's been terrible lately. He was very, very poor. He's been um, he's been terrible since Sunday United. He, yes, he he's not been great. Um, and yeah, who knows? A, a very 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 bad. I think we're all fans of Ross McCrory, but right now he's woefully out of form. I have been, but I I am starting to get concerns about him now. I'm not going to lie. Um, around just what sort of player he is and where he best fits, and you know, he is there. he's a victim he's of got this. all the attributes to be a good player but i'm not seeing it enough now i think i think as much as i think he's a victim of this perception of his um adaptability because mm. christ I, I, I would love to know like the stat i mean i guess it would be center back because i would love to know like the stats of how many like consecutive games he's played one position mm. when he's been at aberdeen yeah it's probably it's probably his center back um uh, last year but then like we come into this year and it's like okay he's going to be a centre midfielder now unless Liam Skills is not available which is because he's going to be a left side of centre back actually now we're now going to play three at the back so he's going to be the right side of a back three but you know United um, even against Hearts Motherwell um, Partick when he went to right back and then didn't look know, great no. against Rangers he was, um, he was very horrendous. very very poor and it's kind of like I don't know if we have any options to drop him, but it's like it's it's one of them. Like he seems to be one of those guys that's just gonna be in the team no matter what they do. And yeah, we've been down that road as well. The other interesting part is I want to move away from the game, but this is a, this is an interesting part, and I don't think we need to talk about it in any great detail just now. But it, it feels as though we stumbled on this three-five-two ahead of the Hearts game, and it feels like that might have been either by design or it might have been because we had to because Hayes and Coulson were injured. And so it was a case of trying to find a way to to play, and and that's what we did, and it kind of worked, and it worked against Thistle, and it worked to an extent at Motherwell, but against Hearts and Motherwell, there were warning signs there, and I guess Thistle, to be fair, there were warning signs there about our setup because Hearts had chances they should have scored against us, Motherwell had chances they should have scored against us, or should have scored more than they did against us, and Thistle had chances as well, um. But in, do you remember if you cast your mind all the way back to the summer when Jim Goodwin sat with Graham Hunter? Our man and they spoke about philosophy and spoke about tactics. Hunter was very, um, Goodwin was very adamant in that interview that he was going to play a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. That was the formations he wanted to play. And we have loaded our recruitment up 
on that basis. How many wingers do we have currently on the books at the moment? Answer, fucking shitloads. Or guys who can play in that front four positions, like the, the one and three behind. Some of whom might not be very good, by the way. May or may not be any good, but we've got loads but of... But yeah, the, the recruitment was built around width. That it seems like, yeah, it. we were trying to build a team that was going to be expansive and get the ball out wide. Yeah. But if we're going to stick with a 3-5-2, we have the slight issue where we only have three centre-backs on the books. And, well, first team picks right now, one of whom is not really actually centre-half. He's a guy we can drop in there if we need to. One of whom can't play in certain games in the season. So we're kind of let, let, very, very light from the centre-back uh, position. We've got one right-back on the books, slash right-wing-back. We're so unbalanced. We, we, our squad doesn't match that system if we decide to go that way so does it now mean our entire summer recruitment has been a waste of time not an entire summer recruitment but a large chunk of it has been a waste of time because we've now decided we're going to shift a system that doesn't suit half the guys we've brought in or do we now go back to the 4231 slash 433 and try and work back with that it's it's a bit of a mess to be honest and there's loads of questions back on the agenda after that performance that i brought yeah, anyway. yeah there absolutely is but let's save this for it's another, it's another show. We'll, 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 I'm sure we'll come back to probably in the World Cup break, I imagine, when we can actually yeah. look back at the first half yeah. of the season. Should we move on? Yes, please. Okay, Are we not going to talk top down? Um, Duke. No, actually, you know what? I'm going to give it to Kelrys. Just to um, win it, Jeff. Nadine, Han- Nadine Hansen. Graham, do you want to venture a top down? Anyone who wasted their time and money going, I think credit where credit's due. There we go. Let's move on. Little related report from AB24 this week other than confirmation of the ticket pricing for the League Cup semi-final at Hamden. It's fair to say the club have probably missed a trick by not having them on sale before we shat the bed at Ibrox. I'm very glad I haven't taken out that payday loan. (laughs) Um, We're still waiting details on the actual sale process. Um, We've said it before. We'll say it again. I don't think it's going to be a big issue now, to be honest, after that performance on Saturday, but straight to general sale, please, or set the initial level at a low enough priority point segment to allow pretty much anyone to buy them and don't restrict the number that they can buy. Pretty simple. Hey, guys? Yeah. On to Lone Watch, Conor McLennan uh, came off the bench for the last 25 minutes as St. Johnston kept up their decent run of form as they are up to seventh in the table now after their 1-0 win over Kilmarnock at McDermott Park on Saturday and Ash Taylor on goal. Well, something's never changed. Clearly spending too much time wondering what the manager's up to on, or if the manager's there. Anyway. Um, Kieran Nguyenia. Another start and another nine minutes for him as Wraith Rovers beat Park. Park have gone on a bit of a slide since we beat them. I, I remember Ray. Um, yeah, Ray talked about this, yeah. <laughs> creating a little bit of a premonition that if they lost us, they could go on a little bit of a, a slump and the fans would turn nasty against the club, which is uh, com- completely to fruition. So good job it's, there, Ray. Exactly. Uh, Park this will beat 3 0 by Wraith in the championship on Saturday. Absolutely mental league, though, by the way. What a league. Top to seventh, separated by seven, by five points. I enjoyed me tweeting out on Friday night that Queen's Park were going to go top because um, I thought that was safe to do with like two minutes of injury time left to go and Dundee equalised. So any Queen's Park fans that listen to us, I apologise. <laughs> Mason Hancock came off the bench for the final 11 minutes as our both season continues to fail to catch fire. A 2-0 defeat at home to Air United, leaving the big dick experience in need of a dose of Viagra. Uh, Evan Towler, <laughs> Blue Shoe. And, <laughs> Blue Shoe. Are, are you a podcast unless you're sponsored by Blue Shoe? The people who make that stuff, just, you know, if you're listening. Evan Tyler, an unused sub as Cove drew 4 4 with Hamilton at New Douglas Park. 
friend of the show, all-round great egg, danger man Mark Reynolds with another goal. It's third of the season. Three and ten games. What a boy. For, for Mark Reynolds. What a boy. Anyone who attended, obviously, the quiz night um, a few weeks back will be able to test some boy. But remember, what was said in Siberia stays in Siberia. <laughs> Siberia, it absolutely does. Uh, Tom Ritchie, full 90 minutes and a booking for Tom Ritchie as Peter Head drew one all with FC Edinburgh in League One. Are they not now Edinburgh? Have they changed again? I think they're just FC, are they? Yeah, it's another week, so I'm pretty sure they've changed their name. Edinburgh. Um, I'm pretty sure they are just now Edinburgh. Just now Edinburgh. Okay. Just Edinburgh. Well, not, not, now, not just now Edinburgh. <laughs> just, <laughs> just Edinburgh. <laughs> their name, after I say start, is the name. So their name starts Edinburgh. So they're just Edinburgh. Are they Edinburgh Football They're just club Edinburgh or? without the just. Are they Edinburgh Football Club? Are they, have they moved the FC to the back now? No, I think it is just the word just Edinburgh. Edinburgh. I believe just so. Just the word Edinburgh. Just Edinburgh. <laughs> I think that's it. Love our tangents. Love them. Um, Kevin and Ray. He was the bench for the last 10 minutes as far for lost 1-0 at home. Just Shinrar. If I may, um, Gary's pick for League 2 for for Athletic. Yeah, not going well for them. Shinrar managed by little Jamie Hamill, the angriest man in the world. Have you looked at Upgrade? Is it just Edinburgh? Are they sponsored That's by Just Eat? So they haven't changed their website address, <laughs> but... Um, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, they are just they are just Edinburgh. So if you go to www.edinburgh, if you go to fcedinburgh.com, you will find a club statement saying that their name is Edinburgh. Okay. I can see a BBC article. FC Edinburgh have said they wish to be known simply as Edinburgh after officially changing their name four months ago. Yep, they have indicated their preference to the SPFL to be called Edinburgh. Unofficially drop FC from name after fan consultation. And should anyone in America be listening to this, I am, of course, meaning Edinburgh. <laughs> Who are, of course, managed by ex-Dons alumni, Alan Maybury. Of course they are. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, Dean Campbell, an unused sub, as Stephen is true, 1-1 with Colchester, for whom Matty Longstaff does conspicuous absentee uh, in League 2 down south. Was he on trial at the Bernabeu or something? <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> Matt Longstaff not even on the bench for Colchester United, who are currently rock a bottom of League Two. So draw your own conclusions. Stevenage remain second. Uh, no game for the young team this week, so which means we can move straight onto the women's team. Homecoming part two for the Quines on Sunday afternoon as they took their place at Pataudry for the second time this time to face up against Glasgow women in SWPL1. Tell you what, I wouldn't want to face up the Glasgow women, full stop, but there we go. Insert joke about where your wife's from. I'm just waiting for a shout to do some abuse at me now, but obviously that one flew under the radar, so we're we're laughing. Two changes from the starting lineup last time out against Hibbs with Donna Patterson and Ailey Shore dropping out Shore due to suspension with Millie Uckert and Bailey Collins coming into the starting lineup. A positive start from the home side saw their efforts rewarded with Ogilvy's free kick headed in by Nadine Hansen, grabbing her first goal for the club and creating history as the first Aberdeen women's player to score at the home of football. It was nearly two just a couple of minutes later as Hansen again caused havoc at a set piece and her spectacular overhead effort came back off at the post. Bailey Collins brought out a good save from the Glasgow keeper as the Quines continued to dominate the ball before Ogilvy and Hutchison both went close. But the Dons did finally get their reward. Gover's corner met by Jessica Broderick and her header found its way past Bergen to double the lead. The second half 
pretty much a mirror of the first, the home side dominating possession with Thompson having an effort ruled out for offside. Ogilvy, Thompson, Stuart, Maya Christie, who impressed all afternoon, all going close before substituting Natasha Bruce, also went close with an effort. But the Dons did eventually run out 2-0 winners, a first ever win at Pataudry in front of a healthy crowd of just over 1,600. And perhaps even more importantly, a first win of the season for Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath side. A clean sheet to boot. Hopefully that will kickstart their season and now opens up a gap to bottom placed. Glasgow, time for a few weeks off. Next up is a trip to Motherwell. Obviously, it's always Motherwell, isn't it? On Sunday, the 20th of November. And so, on to Friday night. The return of Friday night football to Pataudry with the visit of Hibs to the Granite City for the first time this season now. Bit of a grudge match, this one, as it turns out now. Um, a lot of chippy hybies getting involved in recent weeks. Um, after Aberdeen's 3-1 defeat at East Road earlier in the season, apparently certain ended. members of Aberdeen-based podcasts just stoking the flame every now and again. <laughs> Who would that be? <laughs> no idea. Um, obviously, the, the intriguing part to this, obviously, is the fact that after the last game at Easter Road in September, Jim Goodwin stayed in the battle of a 6-plus-2 game suspension. He's had that lifted in recent weeks. His appeal hearing is on Halloween. 31st of October, so by the time this podcast has gone out, we will probably know the result of his appeal. Very unlikely he will be at pitch side for this match, which means we've got the joys of Lee Sharp probably doing post-match interviews again, so all looking forward to that one. Um, Hebs coming into the game, Gav's looking quizzical. No, I mean, I, I would, I mean I'm would. i off in favour of uh, Craig Sampson taking over yeah. media duties on this occasion, or maybe that lad that's, I don't know who he is, but he's on our bench. Big lad, grey-haired fella, um, a little bit portly, yeah, yeah, big, big boy. Um, on this, I, 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 we know people at the club listen to us. We know. Hello. Um, hi, hi, as. Um, if anybody can get me, a, <laughs> this is the most niche request in history. Graham's just got up and walked up. What's going on here? I think his cat's causing chaos. What is he doing? Has he just had enough? Is everything right, Graham? <sighs> The cat's eating a plastic bag. Okay, well, there we go. And they're not supposed to. Just if any vets are listening, I don't let her do that. <laughs> um, if anyone from the club, why am I saying if anyone? We know they listen. If anyone at the club, though, can get hold of Craig Sampson for me, I would love to get hold of Craig Sampson's match issued the jersey from when he was on the bench against Motherwell in the Cup last season. I suspect that might be the collector's item of collector's items from an Aberdeen FC memorabilia perspective. Doesn't need to be signed. If signed would be lovely. Um we'll get if anyone's can I can I get that? That'd be great. Anyway, Hebs uh, well, for, for putting in requests, can I make one as well? Oh you go. Yeah. I, I, I think something equally rare as a Patrizio Bilio Aberdeen match day worn shirt. I'll take that, thank you. If, if anyone at the because club I'm has retro. a Patrizio Bilio match worn shirt, I will personally pay for that to be framed if it can be delivered to Gavin. Um, anyway, the Craig Sam's one, please make it happen. Somebody must be able to make it happen. Graham, anything? Make it happen. Um, no, I'm going to keep my powder dry and see if they deliver on your requests. Okay, good, good. Back to Friday night. Hibs come into the game sitting in third spot, one point above us after the 3 0 win over St. Mirren on Saturday afternoon. And after a hilariously awful start to the campaign under Lee Johnson, they appear to have at least kind of sorted their shit out on a very general level. Oh, elaborate, what do you mean by hilariously awful start to the season? 
getting pumped out of the League Cup after an administrative error, meaning that Rocky Bashuri, who they signed by accident, was suspended and still played against Morton and they got hosed out of the League Cup. That's pretty fucking funny. Just on the subject of administrative errors. Banks a D. Banks a D. That's the one I was looking for. That is an absolutely obscene series of administrative errors and pretty <laughs> spicy points deduction. I mean, that does put them rock bottom of the Highland League, doesn't it? Yeah, but they'll be all right because they'll still come up with a strategy thistle, so they'll be okay. I feel for them though because they were like, were they not up in fourth or fifth? They were just tucked in behind Fraserburgh, I think. I mean, so I've not delved too deeply in this. They've, they've just, they did they play a player like, that they shouldn't have. I think, but I think they've done it twice, haven't they? I think he's played. No, the reason that the, I think he's played in all the games I've had points deducted for. Yeah. Oh right. So yeah. So it's I think like he's a, played in pretty much every game. So yeah. it's not as though they've played him once and they've been docked no, twice. No, no, I, got caught, thought, I thought that would be very very steep. They've made this mistake more than once. Okay. They got caught up in the Scottish Cup, and I think basically what's happened is after they got caught out in the Scottish Cup, the Highland League have gone. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. We don't have oh, Fort William. We don't have Fort William to whip anymore. So <laughs> Banks three, you took their place. Yeah, I, unfortunate for them, but they'll they'll still avoid finishing bottom. So you know, but they were doing all right. They were kind of up at the top end of the table. Um, you guys watched that Fort William documentary, by the way. I haven't watched it yet. Fucking mental. Would highly recommend it to anyone out there. Anyway, can we move on to talk about Hebs? Must we? Don't have to. The only point I would add to your statement, they're a point ahead of us, but they have played a game more. This they is have played true. a game more. This is true. This is true. Who's our game in hand against? It doesn't matter if it's a home, we might get something out of it. If it's away, it's ties. It's a home to Sevco. Um, oh, of course, of course. So that's an easy zero points. Yeah. Um, I know anyone holding the kind of, that's a game in hand. Uh, just chalk it up as being my level on games. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Point noted. Anyway, let's 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 get cracking with this because otherwise we're going to be here for hours. A three-one win over the Dons at Easter Road in mid-September for Hebs. That was followed up by wins against Ross County and Motherwell before they've had three defeats on the spin to United, who we'd obviously given a massive dose of confidence to on the Saturday. Celtic six-one lol, and St Johnston, which saw a Stevie May and Connor Clare inspired St Johnston. By the way, I should add, um, and Adam Montgomery, and Adam Montgomery, yeah, which saw them slip back. Uh, in the league before they got that win over St Minute on Saturday. Um, we kind of touched on this in the preview of our previous meeting with them at the start of the season. Um, Hebs perhaps not as swashbuckling as you'd normally expect. They're 17 goals so far in the league. is the fifth highest in the league coming into the game on Friday. But goals against of just 16 season tied third for the best defensive record in the league. And bearing in mind, out of that 16, six of them were at Parkhead a couple of weeks ago. So they do appear to have actually tightened things up at the back a little bit. Healthy mix of goals as well for Hebs. 10 from open play, 5 from set pieces and 2 penalties. 17 goals for in the league is pretty much matching up to their expected goals of 16.8 for the season. Set piece expected goals of 4.23 is the second highest in the table. And uh, gents, do you want to take a wild guess as to which team has got the worst set piece expected goals against in the league? Um, um, could it be FC Aberdeen? It is, and oh, we're, we're just Aberdeen now. Um, <laughs> it's it's right, us, football uh, club Del Aberdeen. 
That's us. Uh, an expected goals against from set pieces of 4.44 across the season, which we're outperforming by having conceded five from set pieces this season. So at least we're outperforming one metric. Away perform for Hibs has been patchy. Only two wins on the road with four losses out of their six games away from Easter Road so far. And they've shipped 10 goals on their travels. Again, those six of those did come at Parkhead. Top scorer, Martin Boyle on five, even with his painted on haircut. Josh Campbell on four. And in summer signing, Mikola Kukaveric. I can splice in Calvin's audio at that point if you want. Can you do that in there? Excellent, yeah. lovely. He's got two in his last two. So in terms of the hashtag data from an attacking perspective, third in the table for average shots on target per match, 5.1. But with a shot conversion rate, Graham, you'll enjoy this, 5.4%, which is the third worst in the league. For comparison, Aberdeen have got a shot conversion rate of nearly double that, 11%. We're the second best in the league converting shots. Who'd have thunk it? Not me. Wide areas, a threat. Second in the table for accurate crosses per match, 6.8. Just tucked in behind Sevco on 7.3. And you know what? We saw on Saturday just how well we defend the wide areas. So that's going to be a fucking battle of laughs, isn't it? Yeah, if you could, Jim, if you're if you're listening, if you just have everyone play sort of in a, in a line from the penalty box to the centre of the midfield, that'll be fine. I'm sure we'll handle this properly. We are trying our best to feed the data to the people that need to hear it so maybe this week somebody might listen um anyway defensively hebs not giving up an awful lot of chances an average of just 1.8 saves per match for uh, david marshall predominantly to deal with a total of just 23 shots across their 13 games played to date for comparison <laughs> kelrus has had to make 40 saves in just 12 games for aberdeen so nearly double with one game less played Although, interestingly, and this we talk about this with Calvin, he touches on the fact that Dave Marshall's been a really calming influence for Hibs. There is a question mark about their goalkeeping. Um, they've conceded 13 goals from open play against an open play expected goals against of just 8.86. So they're massively underperforming on that metric. It feels a little bit like Aberdeen last season, where teams would come to Aberdeen and have like no shots on target but still score a goal. Anyway, um, set pieces not really causing... Hibs, too many issues either, and expected goals against from set plays of 2.75. They've only conceded two from set plays so far this season. And again, we're generally woeful from set plays um, from an attacking perspective, so not much for Hibs to worry about there. Uh, dirtiest team in the league. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, calm, calm down. I mean, that's just going to have, have Hibs fans coming at us. <laughs> like, um, can we like get like a condition or like, you know, terms and conditions on this part of the show? Factually... <laughs> Actually, speaking, they are the dirtiest team in the league. Yeah, they have an average of fourteen point two fouls per match. Even with Ryan Porteous, even with Ryan Berezi Porteous, fuck me. Um, the Dons, we're the cleanest team in the league. We we average ten. I can believe that. Per match. I can believe that. Absolutely. I can believe we're not putting tackles in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but interestingly, Hibs only sit fifth in the league from a discipline perspective. Thirty yellow cards, one red to date. Where do um, we sit in that? Uh, quite near the bottom. From a quite near the bottom, from a good perspective, but being at the bottom is good. It's like yes. it's like a sport where having less is more. Yes, although like golf, like golf, that's what I was thinking of. Yes, yeah. Although contrary, you know, I mean, there is also that part where you go that just makes it sound like we're not really putting any tackles. So, which you know, Rangers and Dundee United would support. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, in terms of style, Hibs are by quite some distance. It's quite interesting. We look at the graph for this the team who move the ball up the park 
quickest in the league, an average of 1.88 metres per second. But it isn't kind of hoofball stuff. They're moving the ball through the lines quite quickly. They've got the third most passes per sequence in the league, 3.04, which is quite a bit ahead of us in six on 2.70. They're the third highest in the league for 10-plus passing sequences, 82 of them so far. And in terms of those 10-plus pass passages that end in a shot on goal or a touch in the opposition box, it's 20 uh, for comparison. Aberdeen are fourth in that metric on 14. Big secret for Hibs, looking at their data, though, is on direct attacks. So they're second in the league on this metric with 24 direct attacks. That is where they start an open play sequence within their own half or the opposition half that ends with a shot on goal or a touch in the opposition box. They're third best in the league at high turnovers. They've had 83 of those where they win the ball back within 40 metres of the opposition goal. So they're just turning over a quarter of those turning turnovers into meaningful attacks where they get a shot off or they get a touch in the opposition box. And with a PPDA... Passes per defensive action. Thank you, Graham. Of just 9.1, they're the third highest pressing team after Sevco and Celtic. So You, you need to come at us with more acronyms. Okay, I'll try for next More week. statistical acronyms. <laughs> so you can kind of see what they're going to come and try and do. They're going to try and win the ball high up the park and try and very quickly convert that into opportunities on goal. And this is backed up in their zones of control. Once again, we'll tweet out the zones of control graphic on Twitter at ABZ Podcast if you want to see it. Uh, the blue boxes are where Hibs have more than 50% touches in games compared to their opposition. Great areas are contested. Red zones are where the opposition have more than 50%. Yes, Gavin. I was just going to say, for the future, one thing that might be an interesting uh, comparison is if you tweeted Aberdeen's zones of control as well. Uh, yeah, I can do that this weekend, no problem. Um, so what you can see from that graphic is, again, this probably matches up with a lot of the data. They are maybe a little bit happier to lose out in areas in the centre of the park, but m- looking to exploit wide areas, especially, looking the right- to dominate, especially on the right-hand side, looking to dominate also in their own half. It's going to be quite an intriguing game, I think, Friday night. Um, it's a big game for both teams, isn't it? Let's be honest. Aberdeen need to, we need to bounce back from the result at uh, Ibrox on Saturday. There's huge question marks once again now over the manager. Um, we need to get our season back up and running. Our home form has been generally okay. Hibs, a bit patching the road so far, but Hibs are so far sitting in third spot. They'll be looking to consolidate that, try and squeeze a bit of a gap on ourselves and hearts. So, gents, I'll turn it over to you now. Um, what are we expecting? I mean, not that I'm going to just throw all that statistical analysis out the window and go down to base uh, thinking on my part. But when it comes to Aberdeen versus Hibs, historically, I've always kind of associated these games, you know, the team at home is the team that tends to come out on top. Um, I think we've had a very, very healthy record against Hibs for a number of years now. You know, you're thinking back to, I mean, Gary McKay Stephen, for example, played his best football for Aberdeen against Hibs. Um you know, Derek McInnes tended to have the better of them quite often, as well as, you know, probably Jimmy Calder as well. Um, you know, the the stats kind of back up. You know, our records are neither enough identical up till now. Um, obviously, they've played that one game extra and they've got the draw, which puts them one point ahead of us in the league. Uh, their form in general has been patchy. You know, that's three bad defeats um, prior to the you know, admittedly impressive result against Simiron at home, but (laughs) it's one of them. I I feel like I'm sort of like some kind of modern right winger where I'm just going to deny all the evidence and statistics you've provided for me because Hibs can't be 
a defensively solid team. That's just not the way that Hibs work. So I do believe that we can um, we can hurt them with our with our attacking players. We've been down this road many times before talking about Martin Boyle. So we know what he's capable of, but he's generally speaking never really done what he's known to do against Aberdeen. Not um, Tawdry. He's probably done it a couple of times too. So like even so, like he scored at um, East Road, didn't he? Against us, didn't he? Am I misremembering that? Give me a second. But I think it was a penalty. I think you're right. I think it was a penalty. Yes, he did. Yes, of course it was a penalty. It was the one from. It was the one that. Oh, of course, yeah. It's the what's what worth what the whole thing was all about. Um, Ryan Porteous and his cheating, <laughs> bending of the rules. Um, no, no, cheating's the word you're. Yeah, cheating for. is the word. Yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, I think we we, we know what they're what they're gonna come and try and do, and I mean. I think that they'll be come here and be quite adventurous and quite attacking. I, I have a suspicion we're going to persist with the three at the back. Um, I pray to whatever higher entity there is that we do swap out the fullbacks at the very, very least. And uh, we do have enough to go about hurting Hibs, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to require a much, much improved performance um, from ourselves comparison to yeah Ibrox and, and Tannadice to go and get those three points yeah I'm not too sure there's a I mean we're a, we're a different prospect at home that's my thinking so, and Hibs are not great away from home either yeah so a, a bit more confidence I mean we've just taken an absolute shellacking away from home from them but it's two teams with like totally opposite totally opposite form so we're at home where generally we've been quite good and Hibs, like I say, don't haven't travelled particularly well, so gives me a bit more confidence. Even though we've just come off the back of that defeat, we are at home. That's where you want to be your next game up. It's a massive game because if you've got any aspirations on, let's be honest, third is the best you're going to do. Then you'd expect probably the season to boil down to us, Hibs and Hearts. So you need to be taking points off. You're already like one down if you like having lost down there. So you really need to win to try and balance things out. Um, a win would I don't think it like I wouldn't feel appeased based on what's just happened but it would just get us back on track and to be honest if you're going to go through a season losing or taking the odd hiding and then just getting back on it and winning a couple you'll probably finish there or thereabouts it's you know it's obviously defeats will hurt you but it's like a run of draws will kill you if you can lose and then go on in a two three four game winning run lose and then go again you'll, you'll probably finish all right I think the one thing that probably gives him a bit of the fear is seeing what happened on Saturday. You're now playing a team that plays in a similar fashion in terms of they're quite quick at moving the ball, but in the wide areas. And if we are, Gary's probably right. If we are, it's maybe, I feel like it's probably more likely than not that we will set up in the same way. That doesn't fill me with confidence because if it didn't work before and you're playing not quite a carbon copy team, but a very similar team in terms of the areas they're going to want to exploit. Then you look at the little graphic there of the areas they've controlled, um, the wide areas being the, the obvious danger areas. That gives me a little bit of cause for... Giving you the willies. Yeah. Not I'd the Willie be... Millers. I think... The... Oh, no. Can you imagine if we had the <laughs> Willie Millers? I think the only thing that could change our potential formation... Setup is um, the fitness of Johnny Hayes. I don't know 
where that is. Um, I think you can tell he's a, a big uh, favourite of Jim Goodwin. Um, if he was available, I could maybe see us switching things up back to maybe the 4-2-3-1 or the, or the 4-3-3. Uh, if Johnny's not available, I would expect we go with that back three, um, wing-backs, midfield three, um, striking duo. Um, I think if you look back at Lee Johnson's coaching career, he's he is you know susceptible to a scudding. And there. dodgy fashion choices. And dodgy fashion choices and suspect interview techniques. Um, um, and you see it's carried on to Hibs because you know, like, they did take that absolute hammering from Celtic um, a few weeks ago as well. Um, so I, I, I do expect they'll come and play in a pretty expansive fashion. And I kind of do still think that could play into our, um, play into our hand in a certain way. But yeah, I mean, there's no no doubt about it that, you know, in midfield, um, the wing backs, if it's Hayden Coulson that's up against um, Martin Boyle, as I suspect it will be, he's going to need to be on his A game. And yeah, just like I say, everything needs to be better than it was at Ibrox. That's simple as that to even stand a chance. But I guess Tibbs at home, I'm, I remain pretty confident we can get that result because I think we are a different animal at home. That's enough of our thoughts um, to get the down low on Hibs what they're expecting, what they're thinking. We spoke with Calvin from the Strong Opinion Hibs podcast to get his take. Calvin from the Strong Opinion Hibs podcast. How's it going, mate? It's going well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to join you and get back chatting about Hibs. So looking forward to it. Your stuff, listen, uh, I was going to say pleasure's all ours, but I mean, you guys are doing all right just now, so I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, I know. Hopefully after Friday, we'll be do- doing even better. Um no, like I said, uh, we're a couple games ahead of the rest of the league, but we're we're sitting pretty at the moment. I'd have definitely took this if you'd offered me uh, at the start of the season because I think, like a lot of Hibs fans, we weren't really sure what we were going to get in Lee Johnson. And to be honest with you, I'm still not sure we're 100% in terms of what we're getting. But uh, ah, life being a Hibs fan is a rollercoaster. There's plenty of ups and downs. So we'll see. There's still plenty of time to uh, muck this up, but we'll see where it takes us. It is an interesting one because obviously your your season got off to like a howling start with the League mm. Cup and everything that went along with it. Um, at that point, I mean, obviously Johnson's come in; he's an ex-Hearts player yeah. as well, which doesn't you know start off in the the the, the best route, I guess, with Hibs fans. Um, with what happened in the League Cup, were you a bit like, "Holy shit, man! Like, what the fuck is going to go on here?" Uh, do you know what? It, it was difficult because I I kind of feel like if you're a Hibs fan, obviously the League Cup's probably the one you're looking at in terms of being in the, the later rounds. And I think the last couple of years, three, four seasons, we have either been semi-final or final, there or thereabout. Um, and we've had quite a lot of good good luck in those competitions, um, but I've always seemed to fall short of the last hurdle. So taking an early exit was probably bound to happen. Um, and do you know what? It was it was a good time to get a lot of our young players in the squad and playing because we'd signed a lot of players at the tail end of last season. Some of them had stayed like Melkerson and things like that. And we're looking forward to seeing them get a run out. Um, which they did in that League Cup group stage. But to be honest with you, I wasn't too upset about it because it was still a transition period. And I kind of felt like I've got this thing like I've been saying on our podcast, like even when we had Sean Maloney and he had a three-year deal, it was kind of like, we need to give the guy three years. Like we can't just judge him after six months. Like let, let's see where we end up. Like, you know, it's the start of a project. He needs to bring his own players in. And I think I was kind of the same when Johnson came in. I just wanted to give him a bit of a chance. Because we have this sort of revolving door at Hibs and it's like, if you're no winning or you don't have us in third place, then you're not doing your job. But like I said, I think in my lifetime, I think Hibs have only been third twice, which is 
So it sounds quite shocking, but that's the reality. Like most of my life, I've sort of been anywhere between third and eleven. So really, you could throw a dart and you wherever wherever it lands would land that year. So it's uh, no, I think you, we just had to give him a bit of time and just no throw our, our toys at the pram. Like do you know what I mean? We'll go through bits like that, and then um, you just you just got to I don't know, just give him a chance and see where it goes, eh? It's way too level-headed for a Scottish <laughs> Cup, Calvin. Come on. No, I know, well, do you know what? I'm, I'm getting a wee bit older, and a wee, a wee, I've seen a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot worse than Lee Johnson at Easter Road. So, uh, I mean, I, I lived through the Fenland, the Fenland days, and uh, Butcher days, and things like that. So, <laughs> I was rough going to school. I honestly, I think I was only Hibs fan in my year as well, which made it even worse. <laughs> you know. It's been on your way I was going to say, in spite of what guys said about, you know, you're doing well as you are third in the league and, you know, albeit with a game in hand. Yeah. Uh, at the weekend, you got a good win against St. St. Mirren, who have been in good form. But mm-hmm. prior to that, you know, you've got a defeat to United, a bit of a spanking by Celtic, and then yeah. a 2-1 defeat at home to, to St. Mirren, which is obviously disappointing. St. Johnston. Hibs seem a bit like Aberdeen in the sense that you don't really know exactly what team are going to show up yeah. uh, at, per game. What's going to Lee Johnson done to... Uh, change things, make Hibs, you know, perhaps a, a better side than they were under, well, Sean Maloney and, and Jack Ross last year? You know, I think one of the things that he's implemented is probably the style of play is a lot more attacking. Uh, Maloney was a lot more possession-based and it was quite frustrating at times because I don't know about you, but I always say when we get teams like St Mirren or Dundee United or Motherwells that come to Easter Road, they do tend to have 11 men behind the ball and they're very, very hard to break down. And we we really struggle with it. And we really struggled with it under Jack Ross towards the end of his tenure um, with teams like Livingston stuff just coming in and sitting in. Uh, we struggled it with it under Maloney. Under Maloney, sometimes we'd have 70, 80% of possession of the ball, but yeah. get beat 1-0. You know what I mean? And I think Johnson's managed to let go of this idea that having loads of possession is good. And he's sort of more, rather than like getting loads and loads of possession... He's trying to turn that into goals and create more chances. And I think we've been a lot more direct in our play. Before um, before Johnson's came in, he's, he's made some good signs, signings as well, like the boy uh, Kukurovic up front, the big uh, Ukrainian boy. Seems to be a bit of an upgrade from Doidge. He's more of a target man. Whereas I think Maloney and Ross were far, far too reliant on Martin Boyle. Like watching Hibs last year, every single time we had an attack, everybody was just get the ball to Boyle on the right-hand side and see what he can do. And teams had sussed it out, and we had no plan B. There was no plan B at all. So Johnson, he's got a few other options. He's got um, uh, Yuan that he's brought in as well that seems to be quite strong and physical up front. He's got Boyle up front. God, who plays on the left for Hibs? Uh, <laughs> it's been one of those days. It's been a long weekend. Um, but no, he's made he's made some good signings and injected a lot of like good young players into the team as well and uh, gave guys like Josh Campbell and things like that a... a um, a crack at the whip um, and it seems to have turned out fairly well so far but like you said um, they've been really hot and cold this year um, and it's they're too, so it's too sort of uh, hot and cold to sort of hang your hat on and say where I think the direction of the team's going or how well they've been because you know they got a decent result 1-1 against Hearts at the start of the year 2-2 against Rangers they're decent results and they're games we would have both lost last year um, so I think defensively we've cut out a lot of mistakes but then we go to Celtic and we get embarrassed 6-1, which Johnson did when he first came in. You know, he warned us that there will be results like that. Mm. And I think his last game for, I think it was Sunderland, I think he actually lost 6-0 to Bolton. 
and, and it's because he is all out attack and he will go, you know, he won't sit back and try and um, hit you on the counter. He'll play his game no matter who we're playing and we were punished for it against Celtic. Um, but I, it, it's a real roller coaster just now and you don't know what you're going to get because like I'm saying, you get beat 6-1 off of Celtic and then St Mirren who come to Easter Road, which is, a, a, again, a team we've really struggled with and I, I do feel like at the weekend there, they did come and they did sit back St Mirren which I was surprised about. I thought they could have maybe had a bit more of a goal um, and we were able to break them down with some really good play. So uh, it was quite a surprising result of the weekend, that 3-0. But it would be typical Hibs to go and get beat 3-0 off Aberdeen on Friday night. This is what I was going to touch on, actually, is your away form's been a bit patchy this mm-hmm. season. Like, at home, he's been pretty strong. I think it's only one defeat at home, I think, uh-huh. in the against St. Johnston. Away from home, though, you've only got two wins on the road, four losses out of the six games. Mm-hmm. away from Easter Road so there is an interesting dynamic at play there I think a little bit isn't there about home form versus how you're doing away um, it's interesting whether you touched on it because it looks to me from the outside and, and again when you go away and you look at the, kind of the data and stuff what you're saying there about him has been a little bit more direct this season is, is absolutely true when you look at the data you're the most direct team in the league in terms of how quickly you move the ball up the park but it's not like it's normal when you see that metric you're expected it's because focus is launching the ball up the park all the time but yeah. that's not what he's are doing um, I think the thing that's most interesting for me is I mean from the outside it always I've always associated Hibs with being very kind of like swashbucklingy in a way you know you'll always be attacking defensively you always seem to have quite a soft centre and mm-hmm. you can always get it Hibs this season though it looks like it's really really different you're still scoring goals but it's the defensive side which is where things seem to have been tightened up um, in particular I mean I think when I was looking at this earlier on in terms of defensive form, I think you're you're rating really highly in the league at the moment um, this season. I'm just looking for the numbers again here. I had a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, goals against 16, which is the third best defensive record in the league. But six of them were shipped at Celtic alone. You strip those out, say you get a 2-0 defeat or even a 3-0, 13 goals would see you far and away the third best defense in the table. Do you think that's something that Johnson's really focused in on is actually just making yourselves just that little bit tighter at the back? Um, I think it's probably the consistency we've had in terms of team selection. Although last year we did have the third the, the third best defense in the league as well. Um, we were the best well the best team outside the old firm in terms of goals we'd ship. Um, I think we were the best by two goals. Um, but I think one of the big um, additions for us in our sign of the season is David Marshall. Mm. Uh, I think last year having Matt Macy in goals. It was, and we've seen it at the weekend there. Last year we played St Mirren at Easter Road and I think we drew 2-2. Um, and, you know, they were really hard to break down. We were, it was all hibs, all attack, attack, attack. They hit us on the counter a break and unfortunately Macy, who, you know, was probably below par or a, a step down from um, Marciano we had in goals a year before, we conceded. And there was a few times yesterday when we were, um, it was at 0-0 and we were pushing for a goal against um, St Mirren. And they, they, they broke away. And it was the difference is Marshall saving those shots. And he's been a massive upgrade for us. But um, Porteous, I think, has been good for us. His disciplinary ass, thank you. I think he still lets himself down at times. Um, but even Bushiri, I think Bushiri's been a real step up this year as well. It was a lot of controversy around him last year. A lot of folk you know, didn't think he'd settled. And one of, one of the big things I seen last year was he almost looked too frightened to play his own game. It was like he was looking at Porteous for a lot of advice, but once he just started playing his old game, like he's he's been really good. And Hanlon um, really 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 splits our fan base, but I think he's all right. Like he does a job, um, 
And Cadden at right back, right wing back's really good as well in terms of getting forward. But defensively, he's been a wee bit shaky at times down the right hand side. If you're going to have joy anywhere against us, I think it's probably down that side. And then um, Cabraya, who's been more or less a like for like swap for Josh Doig, um, I don't think we've weakened there at all. Um, so I think just consistency. And especially in terms of team selection, it's been a lot more consistent under Jack Ross, under Maloney. I mean, it was like pulling names out of hat. You didn't know what the starting eleven was going to be. And it really affects a team, that, to be honest with you. It yeah. really, really does. But I think um, he's had his first round of fixtures now, Johnson. And I think he's starting to find his, uh, starting to find his best eleven, which, is, which has been good for us. But no, um, we've been quite strong, especially in the middle of the park as well with Kenner. Uh, he's broken up a lot of play and just almost sat in front of the back four as well, which is, uh, sorry, back three, which becomes a back five at times with the two wing backs tracking back. So we have been quite hard to break down. So many parallels between our teams. It's crazy. It is. That's the thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Mad. Especially just the transitions we're both going through. Obviously, like you's going from um, Stephen Glass to um, Goodwin and then us going from Maloney to, to Johnson. It is. Both teams seem really similar. And I think. And not to jump ahead onto the next topic, but I think the thing that sort of may have been the difference between the two teams is, is the fact I think Aberdeen's strikers are scoring goals compared to us. I think that's been the difference of our strikers. I mean, we've had loads of chances, but just nobody could put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of been a story to uh, the tale of our season so far. Can't talk about Hibs' transfer activity without asking you, what's the Aidan McGee situation? Do you know what? On paper, it looked like a decent signing, um, especially when he brought in like Marshall and things like that. Because last year, I think we had the youngest the the youngest team in the league, and I think the average age was like twenty one or something like that. Um, and that's all good having it's good having young players in the squad. But you know, when you get into the sort of the thick of it and you need a bit of experience, we just didn't have that last year, and it really cost us. So I think bringing guys like in like McGeady and things like that, decent signings, but. He's obviously he's picked up an injury, um, and he's out for I don't know how long he's out for, but he, he, he's definitely he don't think he's uh, coming back into the picture anytime soon. But there was a few other folk. I mean, Hibs were playing. I think we were playing away. I think it was we were away to St. Mirren, or we might have been away to Livingston, and he went to go watch a Celtic B team instead. Yes, instead yeah. of travelling up. So it's kind of like, do you know what I mean? It's I understand that's his team and things like that, but I think he could be a bit more professional. Um, but Again, one of my mates is a heart staffed, and he was saying that he saw, I think it was Hart Sunderland at the preseason last year, and he said McGeady was just, even though he's old, just a stepper, just a, honestly, head and shoulders above. Um, but we're, we're yet to see that, so uh, we've not seen much of him. We've only seen him miss a penalty in preseason and uh, a few other a few other chances as well. So that's kind of the curse when you come to Hibs away. You come to Hibs and your, your career goes downhill usually. <laughs> it's It does feel like one of those signs that we've made on, over the course of the past like 10, 15 years of, you know, hmm. yeah, maybe you've just got them just that bit too late in their career to really see them make the impact you want to. What was it he said when he signed as well? He signed for Hibs because they played in green and white? Yeah, I think he said he always had some sort of affiliation to Hibs because obviously like with, with, with the Celtic yeah. link and the Like, thing, like you know, the boys. That, yeah. But uh, no, he was obviously he was he was uh, a player under Johnson when he played uh, at Sunderland as well. So I think that connection's probably helped them along. I don't know if he would be there if Johnson wasn't there. But um, now we need a wee bit of experience in our team. To be honest with you, I think looking at experience, I think Stephen Fletcher was one I was quite surprised. We never tried to 
tried to bring back Tisto Road and I think a lot of the fans would have quite liked that as well. It was surprising that it ended up at Dundee United, but no, we... Um, Those hair transplants don't pay for themselves, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can't, can't have two hair transplants in one team. That's just not on. That's no, do you know the best story about hair transplants? I don't know if you Aberdeen boys will know this, but uh, in the 2016 team that Hibs had, the, the team that won the cup final, <laughs> they all put money into a hat for Martin Boyle to buy him a hair transplant. Uh, and he did actually go away and get it at the end of the season, <laughs> which is quite funny. So that's a recovery story in itself. I don't know if you've ever seen any before pictures of him, but oh yeah, it looks rough. Like. It does look like it's been painted on. To be <laughs> fair, it's horrendous. Um, <laughs> I've never quite understood this. If people get hair transplants and they just like don't go the full hog, and they just get like the same as they had before. You know, if it was me, I'd be going like full afro or something. Like just go fucking wild with it, Maro and Fellaini. <laughs> That's what I'd be wanting to look like. Um, it's going to be an interesting game, isn't it? Friday night. I mean, obviously Boyle's back in back back for Hibs, um, and he seems to have kind of picked off where he left off. Mm-hmm. Um, even weighed down by his Saudi, um, what was going to say, Saudi death squad money in his back. <laughs> Quite right. Um, it seems to kind of hit the ground running. The Ukrainian lad is it Ukrainian lad? Ah, uh, uh, Ukrainian. I think it's Kukurovic or something. I think it's there we go. Thank you. He's obviously got two in the last two, so he's kind of up yeah. and running now as well. Um, presumably, you know, Hibs have got to be looking at Aberdeen um, coming off the back of a scud and at Ibrox, hoping to really come up the road and, and take three points and open up mm. a, a gap, I guess, into that third spot space. You know, I think the next couple of games coming up for us are really important, especially going into the, the sort of the World Cup break. And I think everybody's aware of that as well. Um, so we've got yourselves on Friday night, Ross County during the week, and then St. Kilmarnock at home. That's, you know, to be honest with you, I think that Aberdeen game, I think that would be too close to call. Um, But you're looking at getting as many points here as we can before we go into that World Cup break, because after the World Cup break, we've got Kevin Nisbet and that coming back. So we should strengthen there. But um, I, I honestly think that it's going to be a really tricky game. I don't think it's a game we're particularly looking forward to. I don't think we'll be licking our lips at all. I think we'll be quite hesitant about it. Just because, although you're coming off the back of a 4-1 defeat to Rangers, quite similar to us, like we've obviously just came off the back of a heavy defeat to Celtic, but games like that don't really define our, define our seasons. It's games against, you know, the St Mirrens and the leagues and the Dundee United and stuff like that a little you know, define our season in terms of where, where we end up. But I think similar to yourselves, I think Rangers and that are obviously just a cut above, so I don't think we'll be looking into that too much. But I don't know, I think one of the things I did notice and did quite shock me on sports scene when I was watching it is I think you conceded, was it 36, cha- 36 shots or something Rangers had on goal? Um, yeah, they had 30. This is the thing, right? Somebody posted this yesterday to me. Yeah, they had 36 attempts. 12 of them were blocked, so they never actually got anywhere near right. the goal. Tw- but still, right, 24 were kind of actual genuine shots, which is, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we were fucking horrendous at Ibrox on Saturday. We were awful. It's, it's a hard one to call it because we, like, to be honest with you, I was really surprised we beat St. Mary's 3-0 at Easter Road because I think Hibs this season, and uh, Stuart Lovell said it perfectly on Hibs TV, is you, you never know what you're going to get. It's a right mix, but you have no idea what you're going to get with Hibs this year. Like, you know, they'll beat St. Mirren 3 0. They'll have good results against other teams in that beat as well. Like, obviously, beating Aberdeen and stuff earlier in the year, and then getting beat off Dundee United 1 0 away uh, when we're in a good run of form. It's just, it's really hard to sort of pinpoint, you know, how, how, how the game is going to go. But I think 
especially with Boyle taking a knock as well. Boyle took a knock at the weekend, so I don't know. I don't know whether they're going to try and save him for the World Cup or if he's going to play. Mm. Um, and to be honest with you, if they did save him for the World Cup, you couldn't really grudge him it. Do you know what I mean? That's a once in a lifetime opportunity. But I think defensively, if we can, if we can keep it really tight and the chances come, I do think we've got, um, I do think we've got it in us to score. Um, it'll just depend on. Do you know what it is? I, this is a really bad review I'm giving you. I just think both the teams are so similar, and uh-huh. I think I think it's really difficult to call. I really do. I think both the teams are almost identical in terms of like identity and like form, in terms of like where it's going and stuff. Um, and I think the big difference is it seem, seemed to be, from what I had seen earlier in the campaign, that Aberdeen's two strikers were scoring and Hibs were only scoring. But obviously at the weekend there, we managed to find three goals. Um, and with the amount of chances we're creating and the amount of chances, like I was saying, you're conceding there, 36 to Rangers, which is obviously, it's Rangers. But uh, if we can get even half a half amount of those chances, I'd fully expect us to score at least one or two. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the big sort of key factors for us is going to be I think against potentially better opposition than we faced at the weekend in St Mirren I think we could have been punished a couple of times um, just caught out with silly mistakes and things at the back like Bashiri a couple of times um, Portis a couple of times as well getting caught out um, I think we, what the difference will be will be in the middle of the park for us I think um, Ewan Henderson now, he had a good game at the weekend there, but he's been rusty. He's been in and out of the team. He's obviously in the team at the moment because McGuinness uh, got his red card against Johnston. Yeah. So Henderson, you can see why he's not starting for Hibs. He's really rusty uh, and his decision-making has been really poor. It's almost like when he gets the ball, um, he's, he's, try, he's trying to get rid of it too quick. Whereas if he just puts his foot on the ball and tries to like not force things, um, you know, it might, might come off a bit better for him. But I think the middle of the park will be really interesting. And it's, it's just difficult to call because you've got guys like Joe Newell as well. And like Newell at the weekend there, like, it was absolutely brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. But there's other times this year as well, you show up and you're like, how's this guy getting a game? Like, they're so hot and cold at the moment, to be honest with you. Um, even, Boyle, even Boyle's been a bit hot and cold as well. Um so I it's just really hard to call, but I think I don't think it's a game we'll be particularly looking forward to. I'd take a draw um just to keep us in and around the top of the table at the moment or the top end of the table. I'd definitely take a draw. Yeah, it's starting to bunch up already now, isn't it? Hearts yeah. are winning this afternoon, so they go up to 17 points. So they're they're two off of Aberdeen, three off of Hibs now. Uh, they've got a game in hand on Hibs as well. I was gonna mm. say Hibs in third on 20 points, Livingston in ninth with 16 points. So That's... the glob version two is forming very nicely for my liking. Aye, absolutely. Um, really tight. I feel like off the top of my head, like the home team in these fixtures generally comes out on top. Yeah, you would think we tend so. to get the better of Hibs at Pitaudry and Hibs likewise yeah. at Easter Road. Do you think Hibs will set up in any way differently playing away from home? Or do you think they'll be like, as you say, Lee Johnson quite attacking, quite expressive, or they'll be maybe perhaps a little bit more conservative? Um, I think he'll I think he'll try and keep it a wee bit more conservative first 20 minutes, but I do think he'll play his game. I don't think Lee Johnson will change for anybody, and he said that in quite a few of his interviews. Um, that he won't change the way he play. And as far as I'm aware of, like he's played the same sort of way at Bolton and um, Sunderland as well in terms mm-hmm. of that just all-out attack. And like I was saying earlier, I think he's got his best 11 now and I think he feels comfortable with it. And the subs that we're bringing on as well, like, the depth have got is quite good. Um, so bringing guys like Melkerson off the bench, um, you know, he's obviously got a bit of quality there. 
Campbell's quite a decent swap for Henderson if he can't get in. Um, and we've got guys like Tavares and things like that as well. So I do think that there's options here for us if the game's not going our way to change it, uh, to try and get it back in our favour. But like you say, I think there was a crazy stat, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I think last time we beat you up in Petodres, we beat you 1-0 under Jack Ross. Um, and that was the first time in like years we'd beaten you at Petodre. I can't remember how many years it was, but it was quite it was quite a significant one to note. So it's never been a place where we go and do particularly well, um, which is why I think we're probably not looking that forward to to the actual fixture itself. Yeah, you beat us here the back end of the the, the COVID season, didn't you? Um, right, one 0 Dodge Stephen one, Glass was that was it just one 0 for in my head. I had that. I was think like it was three one or something. I but I think you're right. I think that was like the first win in I don't know how long it's been uh, since you've been here. I've got two questions left. You can't, mm-hmm. No, we'll, we'll make it three. Um, one, what fashion howler can we await from Lee Johnson on Friday night? What's he going to break out? Do you think? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe he's been. Maybe he could take some uh, fashion advice from McCurdy and maybe chuck a bucket hat in there or something like that. You've seen the way <laughs> McCurdy dresses. Uh, yes. You um, need to have a like. He's a. He's a. He's a head case. It's just something about playing for Hibs. You've just got to look like an absolute rag, like. <laughs> <laughs> we've had that in the past like an absolute Ned like guys like uh, Ryden Griffiths uh, Cummins do you know what I mean you've got you've got to have that about you to play for him it seems uh, but I no um, it's cold up in Aberdeen so maybe a nice scarf maybe a nice scarf or a wee, wee pair of leather gloves or something like that <laughs> leather gloves could, could yes. go down nice driving gloves <laughs> for the extra purchase could go down <laughs> nice aye primed and ready for a night at the West End in Aberdeen yeah that, aye, that, could go down nice that that fucking coat he broke out for the Celtic game was fucking horrendous, man. Um, question you start two. selling them in the Hibs shop and all the Hibs dads would be buying them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need to get myself one. Question two. In what minute will Ryan Port just be sent off at Patojo on Friday night? It's going to happen, it, isn't it? Let's be honest. Listen, it depends if Goodwin gets anywhere near, anywhere near him. Before, before the game, we could it, be sent off. It will be after Ryan Porteous scores and he recreates like the Luis Suarez in front of David Moyes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Hopefully, hopefully he keeps his head in that because uh, do you know what? He's he's actually, all joking aside, he actually needs to be careful because he's picked up a fair few ills this year already and he's going to get suspended further down the line. And Porteous being Porteous, it'll be quite an emotion. You know what I mean? Obviously, that'll be in the back of his mind, all that stuff that happened last time. Hmm. And um Aberdeen he, he, fans will be giving it to him as well. So yeah, uh, we'll be he, getting a bit tight, I'd imagine, as well. And it's a Friday night. Uh, he needs to get through the game uh, and just try and be as professional as he can. Goodwin might not be on the touchline, to be honest, because he's his appeal is being heard on Monday, tomorrow night. All um, right, okay. So by the time this goes out, we'll know already whether or not that's been successful. I can't imagine it's going to be successful to the extent that he's... So what's he appealing it to? Is he trying to just reduce them into games? Uh, it's just to reduce them into games, yeah. Right, got you. Um, so I can't imagine it gets reduced. He served what one game? It was one United. match, yes. So he'll I, he won't be on the touchline on Friday night because I can't imagine it's going to get reduced all the way back right. to. He will be in the first row in the I think it'll be 90, 95th minute red card for Porteous Then after comes up one in some sort of, he'll be doing some sort of. Do we look happy? Uh, <laughs> interview after the game, winding them up. Hopefully. <laughs> And last one, mate, because we'll let you go because it's Sunday night and you've got better things to do talking mate. to us. Give us your prediction for, for Friday night. Um, uh, don't be scared. I know you're on our no, podcast. No, I'm not. Tell I'm, us you're going to beat us. It's all right, but don't, we don't give a shit about stuff like that. Um, 
It's a hard one to call. I think it'll be very, very tight. I think it could be... My head says 1-1, but my heart says 1-0 Hibs. But I think it'll be tight. Um, we'll go 1-0 we'll go Hibs, Boyle. Home, home, hometown hero, Boyle. Northfield's very own. Exactly, aye. Uh, there we go, then. There born in Aberdeen, there. made in Leith, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> aye, no, I think, I th- I, to be honest, like I said... It's really hard to call. I don't. I don't know what way it's going to go. I would. I wouldn't be surprised if we lost. I wouldn't be surprised if we won. Um. So I'll. I'll, I'll break and I'll say one one. One one. There we go. Lovely stuff, Calvin from the Strong Opinion Hips podcast. Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um. I was going to say all the best for Friday night, but I don't really mean it. Um. <laughs> and I was going to say all the best for the rest of the season, but I probably don't really mean that either because we'll be. I, I think hopefully there or thereabouts. But listen, it's been great, mate. Thanks very much for joining us, and um, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers. And so that wraps up the first half of the ABZ Football Podcast. Join us after the break for my favourite game with the one and only Duncan Shearer. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And yes, it's that time of the year where we need to talk about Christmas. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia Bar Hotel, who are offering area hire, buffet platters and a welcome drink for as little as £30 per person and it all kicks off from the 1st of November. Book early to avoid disappointment. Contact Scott at Siberia-Aberdeen.com That's Scott at Siberia-Aberdeen.com for more details. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to my favourite game with Duncan Shearer, uh, we just want to give a quick shout out to those of you continuing to make contributions to the ABZ FP Beer and Coffee Fund this week. In particular, Alan Stoby. Alan! And Mark Robertson. Marco! And to our regular monthly contributors, um, we see you. Thank you. Your bread's appreciated. Um, If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beer, or coffee, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description. Buy us a beer or a coffee. It's much appreciated. And that's just before we set up our OnlyFans account. Nobody wants to see that. There was a shout this week from Cam. Cam McWilliam wants to see a Graham Steel bobblehead introduced on our merch page. We don't have a merch page yet. If you know someone that can make that happen. I did have a quick look at bobbleheads. It was like a bobbleheads.co.uk website and I was like it's tempting but they're 45 quid and you also don't have consent to use my likeness true true the economics there are sort of on par with the new stadium yeah uh, that's true we need but to it's ship. okay because you'd get an extra 50,000 people into Aberdeen if you were selling bobbleheads so I think it might well, spread out. over the next 50 years Aye, annually over the 50 years. Yeah, but it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, you're looking at a cost base there of 45, 50 quid, and I'm not sure if the demand is out there for a Graham Steel bobblehead beyond Cam. I'm not sure if the demand is out there to fill out the stadium for under 21 games four times a year, whatever it was. But <laughs> well, someone fuck it, says we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> someone says it is, so it must be true. <laughs> anyway, shall we move on? Um, a segment we've been kind of toying with for a little while, and... It's going to become a semi-regular feature here. My favourite game. And the thing I like about this is the, the name, it's not particularly 
you know, groundbreaking name. But the name came to me when I was thinking about Jeff's Music Corner. And I think we should really quickly do a Jeff's Music Corner on this one. I, and I had it in. Gav just had a massive sigh. He's just, well, it's my favorite game by the Cardigans. That's where it came from. Um, and then I was like, there's not really a one hit wonder though, is it? They had, they had more than just the one song, but never mind. Banger, I think we'd all agree. Soundtrack of our lives, FIFA. It was in there, wasn't it? It was, it was a FIFA soundtrack at some point. Gav's the way to look it up. Gav doesn't even know what song we're talking about. I can't believe you know it, I talking. can't believe a band called the Cardigans ever had a banger. Graham, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I know what you're talking about, but banger is not the word I would have used. No, no, my like favorite game. Yeah, I didn't say I didn't like it. It's just I just, wouldn't have used the word banger. No, what would you have used? It's a decent track, but oh, feel that's like a the... fucking jam. That is a jam, isn't it, Gal? What yeah, FIFA it's... game was that in? Oh, I want to say like FIFA '96-7, something like that. I wouldn't mean like I don't think it's '96. Road to the World Cup '98. Ah, I'm not sure about that. Do, 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 do. That's a fucking jam. Yeah, it is a jam. I take back everything I just said about the cardigans. Yeah, Gav was Gav was really screwing up his face and getting all offended and everything. But they 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 probably aren't one hit wonder. But fuck it, we'll do it anyway because that's where the the idea came from. Um, shall we do how we get the cardigans to Aberdeen Football Club? Yeah. Okay. So there's two ways you can do it, which is even more incredible. So cardigans lead singer is. Nina Person. Person is probably the wrong um, pronunciation for this, but I apologize. Um, Nina Person. So, Nina Person. Well, actually, there's two ways of doing it. First of all, the Cardigans did a duet with Tom Jones, Burning Down the House. Not so much of a jam. Aberdeen, of course, had a player called Tom Jones. Not the same guy, but there we go. So, that's one way of doing it. Second way of doing it is it's a bit slightly more convoluted, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, the Cardigans, lead singer Nina Person, guested on Manic Street Preachers, Your Love Alone is Same Not Enough. Same person. Same person. Holy shit. Manic Street Preachers, lead singer of the Manic Street Preachers, Gavin is? Uh, well, that, of course, is James Dean Bradfield. Who does James Dean Bradfield support? Absolutely no idea. Nottingham Forest. Why does this support Nottingham Forest? Between Nottingham Forest? I have no idea. I don't know. He does, though. Give me a link between Nottingham Forest and Aberdeen. Scott McKenna. That's the obvious one. Gav's like, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to you know like Jason process. Richardson. It's hard to process that Aberdeen players are now playing for Nottingham Forest in the Premiership. But we can go the other way. Jaden Richardson. Uh, Jaden Richardson. Yeah, of course. Or Max Lowe. Oh yeah, Max Lowe. Yeah. There we go. So there we go. We can do it. Seven degrees of lamb. I don't know how many we did it in there. We did it in like two or three. The first one and probably about five. The other way. Anyway, there we go. My favorite game. Um. The idea for this is going to be we'll get a mixture of fans, ex-players, managers, whatever, um, on the show, talk about their favourite Aberdeen game. If you'd like to get involved, hit us up on Twitter at ABZ Podcast or you can email us at abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com with the game you would pick and why you've picked it. And it could be for any reason. Like This doesn't have to be because it was an amazing game. I kind of want people to steer away from the obvious ones like Gothenburg or Bayern at home or Watershire or whatever because we all know about all them. Pick something a bit different. There might be something that was really silly about it. It's your first game. There's something sentimental about it. Whatever. We've had some really cool responses from people already, and we're already starting to line people up for this. Um, but I think it's always good in a segment list to start off with a bit of a big hitter. Don't you agree? I do agree. I also think we should we should start thinking about this for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. We should start thinking about this for ourselves. We could interview ourselves. That'd be nice. But yeah, I mean, 
not to big ourselves up, but we've smashed out of the park with this first guest. Yeah, okay, of course we have. Um, look, things by half, Gav. You know, that's why Talksport wanted to sign us. Um, <laughs> sign us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we turned away that signing on fee. Yeah. Couldn't agree. Well, the image rights. We did. Uh, we did. You know, that's what happens. Um, anyway, fuck Jason Cundy. Fuck Jason Cundy. A return to the show for this man. 194 appearances in red, scored 79 goals, was a League Cup winner in 1995, is part of the class of 2022, taking their place in the AFC Hall of Fame. Alongside Russell Anderson, Frank McDougall, Doogie Bell, and posthumously, Davy Robb. It is, of course, the one and only Duncan Shearer who selected Aberdeen 2, Dungeon United 1 from the 6th of May, 1995. Here he is, walking in a Shearer Wonderland, Duncan Shearer. Duncan Shearer, welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, good, Gary. Yeah, all fine. Excellent. L- listen, Duncan, um, before we get going... Congratulations on the news that you're going to be deservedly taking your place in the AFC Hall of Fame in November uh, as you're inducted alongside Russell Anderson, Frank McDougall, Doogie Bell and, and Davy Robb. You must be you must be delighted with that. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's you know, you get um you get these little individual things over the years, you know, as well as you get the other team ones if you're lucky enough. But you know, Aberdeen's uh holds a great place for me, you know, and you know, when you look back and think of the amount of players that have played for Aberdeen over the years uh, and to get uh, to get selected um, as one of the as one of the favorites you know over the years is a it's a big uh, it's a big thing for me you know and you know in amongst all these Gothenburg heroes and that mm-hmm. you know so, yeah that was a, it was a, it was a nice surprise when I got the phone call I was gonna ask how did you how did you find out I think it was Richard Gordon that phoned me okay uh, Richard, um, uh, did he phone? I can't remember. Did he phone? It was about a month and a half ago or something like that. I mean, I was wondering what he was, because we don't usually speak too much, you know. <laughs> Just, I, I see him a lot at the Ross County games when he was doing the radio, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I was wondering what he was on, but I realised uh, what he's doing now, and he's, he's, he's doing a lot of work at Aberdeen Point. So, yeah, he had said that to me, and, uh, you know, that's that's exactly what the plan was for a dinner next month. and you know, so I was uh, I was quietly delighted. Yeah, looking forward to it. It'll be a great night, I'm sure. Um, yeah, not a, not a bad class to be inducted in as well, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at some of the players that are there, I and mean, even the lads that are there on the night were Russell and Doogie and, and uh, Frank. I done a a dinner thing with uh, with Frank um, a number of months ago. I made a really good laugh um, uh, himself and. We went for a went for a couple of beers afterwards as well because first time I'd really met Frank, you know, and I'd obviously heard a lot about him from particularly big Alec McLeish. He's, he's he's quite friends with Alec, and Alec was telling me some stories about Frank, about how how good a goal scorer he was, you know. So yeah. we we had a lot to talk about in terms of uh, in terms of striking up front and that, you know. I can imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure it's going to be a cracking night um, next month. Everyone's looking forward to it. And uh, like I say, from all of us on, on the podcast, that uh, it's yeah. absolutely well-deserved, Duncan. So congratulations once again on that. But um, let's move on to the feature now. So um, 
when we reached out to you to talk about this new feature we're doing called My Favourite Game, you were pretty much straight off the draw selecting this game. Aberdeen 2, Dungeon United 1, the 6th of May, 1995. So before we actually get on to talk about the game in a little bit more detail, just what about it is it about this game that made you pick it over, like, for example, the League Cup win that came yeah. late in 95, for example? Yeah, well, first of all, it's you know when you when you do your forums and that you know with the fans and that it's, it comes up a lot about your favourite game and, and the more I thought about it over the years, the more I kept coming back to this game, and I think to be honest with you, um, I think it's more. Uh, I was we were in a bad bad situation then, you know. I think when they, when you're a young player at eighteen nineteen, um, like. Scott Thompson and EMJS a couple of years older and guys like that, I don't think you realise the, the seriousness of the situation at the time when we played Dundee United, you know, I think had we got beat, it looks like we were going to get relegated, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're an older player, these things come into the factor and you realise how big an impact it could have had, not just with the football club, but just with the town itself. So it was a real, real vital, you know, they talk about six-pointers. For me, it was one of a nine-pointer. <laughs> and it was vital that we won that game today. But it was vital that we kept cool, cool heads and and and, and just you know played like we you know we, we know we could play, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully at the end of it, come away with the points. Uh, I think it was two points. Was it at the time? I don't think three uh, points. Were uh, well, I can't remember now. I know. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think it was two points. Ninety four. Ninety four. There's part of me thinks this might have been the first season of three points, but. There we go. We'll have a look at it again. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, I guess, like, to set the scene a little bit, because there'll be some listeners of ours who are of a much younger generation who've got no, like, recollection yeah. of this at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that 94-95 season, it was meant to be the season, I think, we were really going to try and kick on and mount another mm. title challenge. The Rangers would come second to them in all competitions in in 1992-93 under Willie, and then second again in the league in 93-94, where we only finished three points behind um, Rangers that yeah. season, having lost less yeah. games than than right. Ibrox side had done. But that close season, it saw a number of experienced players kind of leave the club. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Svart McLeish, Jim Bett, uh, Lee Richardson, um, maybe not in the same category of experience, but had been here for right. two seasons, done a great job. He left Bobby Connor, Mixu Patalainen, all kind of leaving the club in that summer and they were kind of replaced by like so like Colin Withorpe, uh, John Ingalls, Peter Heatherston, guys like this and well let's just say the season gets off to a, a poor start anyway there's there's that away goals defeat to Sconto Riga in the UEFA Cup which kind of almost sets the tone a little bit doesn't it? Yeah yeah I, I, I think I think you're right you know when, when I look back on the player I mean we did uh, for, for me I thought the players that you just mentioned there you know all played a part of Aberdeen they were, they were good good players mm-hmm. and, and when I look at that team considering the teams I've seen since then who have been on the verge of relegation and I look at that Aberdeen team team then and I'm thinking the players that were in that team and you know for me that must have been the best team ever to be to be uh, wanting in that in that position, mm. and you know, yeah, you, you just couldn't put the finger on why it was happening. Mm. It was you no, know, um, something serious was wrong. And it was one of these ones where, you know, you get a team of people say, "Ah, oh, they're too good to go down. They'll come good. They'll come good." You know, I thought, okay, eventually they were right. We did come good, but boy, it was close. It was close. And, and then when you see the players that played in that team, you think, what on earth were we doing in that situation? Yeah, exactly. There's a, a hat trick for you in the League Cup third round. Uh, a win at Park Thistle. You liked the hat trick at Fur Hill, it's fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
Mm. But the league, the league kind of starts off quite poorly. We only win two of our opening sixteen games. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a sure. couple. Of, yeah, there's a couple of wins in December that seems to kind of ease the pressure a little bit. Right. Then only one win in the first five league games in the new year culminates a three-one defeat at Rugby Park, which ultimately leads to the sacking of of Willie from the manager's position to be replaced by Roy, Roy Aiken. Now, I think we touched on it when you were last on on the show, Duncan, but. Again, just how big a shock was it, you know, when Willie is 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 given the sack? It was that big a shock because I, you know, I didn't even, you know, normally you get murmurings about these things. There's a bit unrestlessness, you know. You can, if you read papers, you read it in the paper that you know they're under pressure. I never felt any of of that sort of thing that you know that was happening to to Willie at the time, um, and it wasn't until I met um, I went to training. Um, I'm not sure was it the Monday or the Tuesday or this. And I met Andrew Shinney outside, and I still didn't know then, you know. Mm-hmm. He came up to me and he asked me about it, and I thought, you're kidding me on. He says, you serious? You know, so obviously I couldn't say anything, I didn't know anything about it until we went into training and we found out Willie had been dismissed, you know. Um, so <laughs> to be honest with you, I think we were shocked. Um, the players, because none of us ever spoke about about uh, Willie being under pressure like that, you know. We, we knew that we had to perform a bit better than we are. Mm-hmm. A lot better, to be honest with you. Um, but then they, you know, that decision was made, and I've since found out throughout the years that that's the way football works. I'm afraid it's you need results, and that's the way you know that's the way it goes. Exactly. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't care too much about the egos or the history or the no. legendary status of anybody. Does it, unfortunately? Um, the game too of football. Too much at stake, Gary. Too much at stake. I'm afraid. Exactly. Uh, it's Roy Aitken who, who obviously comes in. Roy had obviously been with the team since uh, the 92 campaign as well. Uh, he comes in to take first team charge. He'd been kind of like Willie's assistant, hadn't he? Um, yeah. To all intents and purposes. His first match, a 2-0 win over Rangers at Pataudry. You score in the last couple of minutes in normal time to secure that. But this bounce doesn't really kind of follow on. There's that defeat to Stenhouse Muir in the Scottish Cup, which we talked at length about on the podcast yeah. last time you are on. So we won't have to go for that uh, old ground once again. You'd be pleased to know. Um, defeats to Motherwell, Celtic, Kilmarnock and Rangers bookend a couple of draws with Partick Thistle and Hibs which leaves us you know staring down the barrel of our first ever rele- relegation from the top flight there's a an unlikely win I think over Celtic 2-0 up to yourself and Brian Irvin uh, with the goals a fantastic finish by uh, Brian Irvin for, for that one there which seems to give us some hope a 2-1 defeat at Motherwell though sees that kind of extinguished again before we head to Tynecastle Last gap, 2-1 win at Tynecastle, a double from uh, your strike partner, Billy Dodds. Gives us a glimmer of hope that we can maybe escape the trap door. And it was all going to be in our hands at that point. If we could beat United at Pataudry, beat Falkirk at Brockville, then we would absolutely escape automatic relegation and it would be between ourselves and Hearts for who would end up in the playoff spot. So the build-up to the game, the, the, the United game, I mean, what was the atmosphere like around the club and the dressing room? kind of going in that that week leading up to that game because we kind of come into the game with our tails up a little bit we won at hearts we'd beaten celtic a couple weeks beforehand united's form at that point had been horrendous i can't remember how many defeats they'd had in the row but it was it was a fair amount and they'd had a last minute defeat at hibs last time out as well so what, what was the kind of mood the atmosphere the kind of general feeling like around the club i think it was really buoyant as i mentioned earlier on about but the players on that team i think everybody had the same Opinion as I did, they look around the changing room and they go, good player, good player, good player, good player, good player, you know. And we got ourselves into that situation, starting, as, as, as you already said, with a, with a massive 2-1 win at Tynecastle, you know, that nobody had given us any hope of getting. 
down there and it, uh, it snowballed from there with the win at Falkirk and things like that. So it built us into that situation where you go, and I still think it stands to this day for me. And uh, You know, when you're in the playoffs, I watch it in my nest quite a lot now, you know, and I was really, it's a, I'm obviously jumping ahead of myself getting into the Dunfermline game. Mm. It's, it's pretty unfair sometimes, you know, when you're, you know, when you're down in that championship team trying to get that uh, promotion, you play all in games. But going back to the Dundee United game, there's a great, great belief. Um, and that started for me um, when it was when the tickets went on sale on the Monday morning um, for the Dundee United game. And, and I'd done up at training uh, at, um, at Pretoria at uh, nine o'clock. And I see all these people, you know, obviously taking a bit of time off their work lined up along the main stand right the way up the road waiting for their tickets and I'm thinking oh dear this you know we cannot let these people down mm. cannot let them be vitally important so everybody was sort of training was uh, was buoyant but we were avoiding um, tackles five sides we wanted <laughs> everybody fit and everybody you know the fitness was already there throughout the season we didn't have a lot to do just tactical stuff about how we were going to go about it against Dundee United and it was just a case of waiting for the game to come along and then of course you know we we, we talk about every time Celtic Rangers come up there you know there's uh, full houses you know I still see when we play Celtic Rangers at times during that season that they weren't really quite full houses you know mm-hmm. uh, this was this was jammed to the rafters this game it absolutely was. It absolutely was. What was yeah. um? What was Roy Aitken like in the week leading up to this? Because I've gone back and watched since you picked the game. I've gone back yeah. and watched like a lot of um video clips of and everything from the kind of build yeah. up to the game. And Roy yeah. seemed remarkably relaxed and yeah, almost kind of <laughs> jovial, like with the media and everything running yeah. up to the game. I've been in that persona. He wants to provide that persona with the players as well. If he's relaxed, we're relaxed. Mm-hmm. But I, I found myself further down the line. Um, coaching Aberdeen and trust me you, you come across as quite calm but um, Roy would have hated he would have loved the build up and, and everything and, and dealing with it and uh, the media and all that and how he's preparing his team along with Tommy Tommy Craig uh, but as soon as that whistle went it was out of his hands yeah you know he could make that wee tactical substitution that he might think it'll benefit us but if players are going to go out there that he believes in and they're not going to play their proper game and they're going to make mistakes and I'm going to miss chances and defenders are going to go away, but, you know, your hands are tied. That's that's the horrible thing about coaching. Um, I'm quite sure he wouldn't really enjoyed any bit of that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's for sure. You touched on it there, obviously, Full House, um, places mm-hmm. jam-packed to the rafters. Talk to us really quickly about the atmosphere um, that day playing in. I mean, the wall of noise from the support from from the word yeah. go was incredible. I mean, I think yeah. I, you know, I, I think we touched on it when we, when we started, um, when we spoke to you first, Duncan, like I started going to the kind of very late eighties. So I missed obviously the glory days of the kind of early eighties, yeah. the Gothenburg, yeah. the Munich, Bayern Munich game and all that kind of good stuff. For me, like this game was, I'd never heard Patoji like this. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, I think as, as, as I mentioned, you know, when people pick their best game, they normally pick, as you mentioned earlier on, they picked the League Cup final. They picked, oh, that was fun. That was great. That was great. But when I look back on that, that was a game that sticks out most in my memory because of the importance and the fans knew how important it was for us. And they knew we needed it. You know, we needed the fans big time, that, you know, uh, for that game. And I still say to this day that, you know, if, if only half the people turned up with Vittorio, we, we could have really struggled. Uh, 
everybody was out there, chest was out, and you know, you were that wee bit taller and you run that bit faster. And um, it just made for a great game. And, and obviously, to get the points mm-hmm. at the end, to give us that chance of the playoff. And I think if I was a gambler man, I would have put my house on us beating Dunfermline over two legs. Yeah. Uh, no, they weren't going to get near us. Because um, I, I kind of always look back to this kind of period as well, that even though things were going badly as they were that season, that um, that running, especially the Hearts, United, uh, Falkirk yeah. game, and then the two Dunfermline games, like, yeah. I don't know, and, and you've seen this, I guess, Duncan, from both sides, because you've, you've played and, you know, yeah. been assistant manager at the club when, when things weren't going too well. I mean, the Aberdeen support sometimes has this reputation for being very, very fickle, which I think is probably replicated across most clubs in the country um to be fair when things are going yeah. well everybody loves it and when things are not going well it's, it's the worst thing in the world but um it really felt to me especially that last that run in that the club as a whole fans players staff everyone was kind of very together on it and it's it it feels to me like one of the very it's been a while since it's kind of felt that way um where it was that proper kind of very united front yeah yeah but as i mentioned it was it was the importance of it yeah, you know who wants to see? Uh, was it first division at the time? Who wants to see first division football at Pretoria? You know, yeah. you, you know after you know, it's not only it's not only doing it for yourselves and your family and, and your fans and your manager. You know, you you're doing it for all these great players that played for Aberdeen that put Aberdeen into that situation. Their managers, their coaches, the trophies they won. You know, and you think, am I going to be part of this team? Like, going to drag this team into the first division? Uh, and everything like that builds up inside you, and it's a horrible Friday night. Um, I think the game was on a Saturday, wasn't it? Am I right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a horrible Friday night trying to sleep, and then you just want that game to come around. You want everybody to be ready, fit, and prepared, and ready to go. I don't know. I can't speak for a Dundee United fan, and I don't know what it was like for them to play. And maybe they would think, you know, um, you know, as soon as we went out with Petardi, I'd like to think that they, they thought this is going to be difficult today. Yeah, we've got everybody in the, in the whole world against us today. In the stadium, you know? it's funny you say that because at the opening, like literally from kickoff, you chase down Morris Malpass and he smashes the ball straight away play. Uh, and it's met like a goal has been scored by the support. Like, you'd honestly right. think we'd scored a goal with the roar that goes up. And that's as if, I mean, at this point, Morris Malpass is obviously, you know, incredibly experienced. Um, uh, at this point, he'd been, I don't know what, um, how many years he'd been in the game at this point, but it'd been yeah. plenty. And you can see even just there, you know. You're chasing him down. His first instinct is just to smash the ball at the park, and it really gets the team on the front foot. Yeah, because they're not taking any, they're not taking any chances. They, you know, they're at the back. They, you know, they don't want to be the player that makes a mistake. Um, and it's it's good to set a marker for everybody mm-hmm. because I was never, you know, I was never, um, I was never one for chasing uh, <laughs> chasing defenders <laughs> down. I, I hated going into the channel and you know, chasing fullbacks and things like that because I never wanted to stray too far from the goals. Yeah, um, but we all had to say, right? Okay, you're gonna have to, you know, have to do a bit more than we normally do here. I'm afraid, you know. Um, oh, it's, it's funny you mention that because honestly, I watched the clip back. It's, it's the kickoff, and I see it go back, and I'm like, who's that chasing the boy down when he smashed uh, that play? And I, I must admit, I rewound about two or three times to make sure it was definitely yeah. yourself, Duncan, because it wasn't something that <laughs> no, immediately uh-huh. sprung to mind that you'd be doing. Um, I've got no problems uh, admitting to that. You know, that's that's for sure. You know, I just like to play in between the two eighteen-yard boxes, um, but um, needs must, and, and you know that's the way it was, and, and that's the way. I, it was the kind of game that I didn't think I was going to be tired in. It doesn't matter how much I run. Mm, yeah. You know, when you've got a crowd like that behind you, pushing you on every every inch and every minute of the game, 
you know, you find that wee bit of extra energy because you know how important it is. And it's funny you mentioned Morris because I, I got to know Morris through the national setup. He was still in the national squad when I got mm. managed to get a couple of call-ups. Um, and then I got to know him very well when Harry and uh, Morris took me in as reserve manager at Inverness. Of course, you know? yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we still keep in touch to this day and um, we'll probably touch on the goal um, I watched it there earlier on because I knew it was coming on. You just remind me of, of, of what had actually happened when it was Morris that I managed to leave around about the halfway line. So they tried to chase me back, and uh, it was it was too late, I'm afraid. We'll come on to that in a minute, Duncan. Don't don't mm. you worry. Um, yeah. But next time you speak to Morris, you can remind him about the fact it was you chasing him down uh-huh. to smash the ball in the south stand um, that day. Yeah. But it's an interesting one as well because Ian Jess, uh, Joe Miller, Billy Dodds, and yourself again was watching back the clips on it. The four of you in particular start the game like really, really well, right on the front foot. Yeah. I'm presuming that was part of the messaging from Roy Aitken as well, was just to really get in United's face as early doors oh, and to be, put yeah, them under yeah. pressure. Yeah, yeah, it had to be right away. We couldn't start this passing the ball about and be patient. Now we haven't we haven't got time to be patient. You know, we had to see the way Celtic play now, um, mm-hmm. and the way they start, the way they take their throw in, that was all relayed by uh, Roy and uh, Tommy Craig. Yeah, throwing's quick, corners quick, everything, everything, tempo, 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 all the time, and just get in at them and, and, and just get in amongst them, you know, um, you know, rattle them and, and, and get shots off, get corners, get free kicks, everything has to be happening in their half, um, and that's the way we started it. Yeah, it's a nice effort for me for a free kick, which goes close, um, mm-hmm. but the early pressure doesn't really bear a lot of fruit until it, no. it takes thirty-seven minutes actually. Um, until we get the breakthrough, Joe Miller does really well down the right. This I reckon this is probably Joe Miller's finest game for Aberdeen as yeah. well, essentially, mm-hmm. this afternoon. Mm-hmm. His cross is met by Ian Jess, who arrives as a late uh, arriving striker with a, a, a decent header, actually, for me, to be fair. Yeah. Saved by O'Hanlon, knocks it straight into the path of Dodds, who sweeps at home. Now, like you give it a massive celebration at the Mercon end. I presume oh. it's just loads of relief at that point that we get that opening goal. You would think it was me that scored it, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I didn't care who was scoring goals that day. Um, I just wanted, you know, I just wanted that win, and I wanted for us to get in that situation uh, in the playoffs because I knew we were going. To. But this was an important one. This is, had we got beat in this game, uh, oh, didn't bear thinking about. Didn't bear thinking about. Exactly. Um, just after that, you hit the bar, mm-hmm. fine header from an Ian Jess cross. But half time, one 0 Aberdeen. Can you remember much about? Was there much said in the dressing room at half time by Aiken no. or by anyone else or? No, it was just a case of go back out and do that again, boys. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was time to gather your thoughts and time to get the breather and check everybody's all right. There's no niggling injuries or nothing. Even if there was, I think most of the lads would just all been saying, you know, the final play on. Um, we get that, we get the breather, get our instructions. Gives you a wee couple of minutes to yourself. And then, uh, but I'm a great believer, you know, one, as I mentioned earlier on with Roy, once the players cross that uh, line, you know, in some way your hands are tied. You can try and turn it and twist it any way you want as a manager but if the players are out there doing exactly what they should be doing then uh, then you can just you're supposed to sit down and, and enjoy the game um, but you can't do that as a manager and a coach you know you always have to be alert of what's happening you're watching what subs they're putting on which way they're going to change it are they going to change their tactical are they going to a different formation whatever but the important thing for us was that um, if there was going to be a change made it was them that were changing it yeah, you know, they had to change to try and combat us. You know, we had to keep the same game plan. If we can keep that 
being planned for 90 minutes, then uh, it's then that we've got the problem. So uh, there was no change and there was nothing after that. We were, uh, we were in the driving seat. Exactly. And we're kind of straight back on the attack as soon as the second half begins. We win a corner in the opening minute, but again, it, it does take a little bit more time for another goal to arrive. And well, <laughs> what a goal it is. Starts with a throw in deep in our own half from Stephen Wright. Uh, Joe yeah. Miller does well to play the ball inside to Peter Heatherston. Sprays a really good ball out to Blade Dodds on the left, who plays an unbelievably good pass into yeah. your path. And yeah. well, just yeah. talk us through that finish, Duncan. Well, for, 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 for the, the build-up, first of all, you say like, a great ball from Peter. Peter was always a, a, a player that I, I, I loved playing. He was always, we always admired him when he was at Wraith. He was just totally, it reminds me of a, I wouldn't say a poor Jim Bate. That would be unfair to say that one thing. But similar styles, hand on the ball, play the pass, play the pass, touch, touch, good ball. So he plays a great ball out to Billy. And even if I rewind it, hundred times, I still can't see Billy looking up to see where I was. Yeah, I don't his see that. Head, yeah. His head was on the touch, coming out from Peter, touches it once, clears his feet, and his head's still not lifted, and he curls a ball in the middle right onto me. So he must have seen me before he received that ball, because he certainly didn't see me after it. Because <laughs> um, I'm thinking to myself afterwards that, uh, how did you see me there? I mean, there's, there's no way, because you're not even, your head's on the ground, and your head's at the feet where the ball is, so he must have, as the ball was in mid-flight from Peter, he must have been able to to catch me making a run. That's when I ran past Morris, and Morris ended up chasing me, and there was a big gap because they played three at the back. That's right, yeah. And the, the other centre-back was further on in the left-hand side, so we got caught napping there. But as you say, a, a great uh, ball from Billy. I'm going back to Peter. Peter always said to me, he says, when they had team talks against Aberdeen, you know, they're always saying, what's Shearer? He won't take a touch. He'll hit it because he's confident of getting near the target by hitting the ball first time. I was never confident in my first touch anyway. Technically, when the ball came in, I should have taken a touch with my right foot, steadied myself and, uh, and tried to find my corner. I was more confident in hitting the ball than I was yeah, trying to control it first time. Mm. So, so when the ball came in, I said, right, right along the 18-hour line, head over it, good technique, low and hard, and he's not stopping it. Um, so that's what I did. Just just smashed it first time and uh, uh, delighted to see it hit the back of the net. A lot of relief. Because I think it was 2-0 up, it was just 2-0 up. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched that goal back a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Um, and it's that thing, you've kind of just taken the words out of my mouth about it. It's, it's, it's a, it's, an incredible goal to watch because as a a young player when I was growing up, you know, in that type of scenario there, I'd have been told by every coach on the planet to take a touch on that because yeah. it's it's the most yeah. difficult thing in the world just to hit that when it's coming right across your body. It's unbelievable technique. Um, it's not like the pitches then are like that now. Like yeah. the balloons. So there was a bit of a bit. I mean, if you're confident, I was always confident of, uh, see all the shooting sessions we did, it was all when the ball was moving. Hmm. Very early WD shooting sessions where the ball was still. Yeah. You know, um, so everything was hit first time and I, I had great confidence in myself. And at least getting near the target when I hit it. If he saves it, he saves it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was, you know. The noise when the ball hits the back of the net. I don't think in my entire oh. time supporting Aberdeen, <laughs> I've yeah. heard such a guttural, visceral yeah. noise that came yeah. off of that goal. The, like, the one that when, when Dodgy scores in the first half, there's there's a massive celebration. But I think yeah. 
everything about that goal in particular because the build-up play that went into it yeah um, the fact that if you were sitting in a certain part of the stadium as soon as you hit it you know it's in um the fact it went it made it two which obviously gives us the cushion what is it like being the person who has manufactured that noise uh, it's crazy it's just it's just out of this and going back to your noise you know you've got to remember you know you're scoring in two different sides of the stadium when you're no disrespect to Merlin stand, you know, and there's a lot of kids and that, and a lot of screaming and that, and that's great. We still know there's a long way to go in the game, but we're one up and we're in the driving seat, and they go in front of the Richard Dollar stand, which when you stand on the back and look up at that red and white, uh, it seems like it goes on forever, you know, it's way up high, and the place is just thumping, you know. Um, so uh, it was a fantastic experience for me, you know, and it's, it's, I'll live with me the rest of my life, of course I will. Um, so that's why I have such a affinity with Aberdeen fans at the moment now, you know. So it's from, just fantastic, you know. Indeed. And as is the Aberdeen way, though, we managed to find a way to make things nervy. <laughs> Having been in complete control of this game, yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. two future ex-Aberdeen players in the form of um, Robbie Winters latching onto a Mark Perry ball, which yeah, is often yeah. into the box. Nods at home. Five minutes to go. I mean, given everything that happened that season so far, there must have been some oh, nerves starting to gather there, or is this just one of these that's like, just head down and we need to just yeah. get on with it and focus on this again? Don't even go there, because that <laughs> last five minutes, I thought, you hear yourself muttering to yourself while you're, the game's in progress, mm. and and you're playing every ball, the ball's to Stuart, shoot, Stuart, down the wing, down the wing, just bump it down the wing, you know, and then you're looking over and everybody's going, three minutes to go, two minutes to one, you know? Uh, that's horrible. It's, it's you know... It's the sort of things that you, you know you would like to be doing it in a cup final. Yeah. And okay, if you lose the final fight, but this is this is bigger than losing a cup final. You know, this is not uh, this is not losing the Scottish Cup in the last minute or something. We, you know, you mentioned the the first season with Willie when we got beat with Rangers in the two finals um, with the own goal with Gary Smith in the League Cup and things like this. Is, this is a different thing. You know, this is this is this could knock this club back uh, a big big way if you know if. Uh, if they get relegated, like so. Oh, just, uh, just you know, just, just let's see out this five, six, seven, eight minutes, whatever's left. See it out, and we managed to do that. I knew then, you know, as I walked off the park, there's not a chance that, uh, um, you know, we're going to get relegated now. Not yeah, really. as it is, we actually managed that last five minutes and two minutes of injury time really well. There's no real yeah. danger, no yeah. real drama. Yeah. Final whistle goes. We're off the bottom of the table with a game to go at Brockville. What's interesting watching again the clips back now is that pretty much all the players, yourself included, straight off the park at full time. There's kind of very little in the way of like real celebrating going on no, by the I team. Think we're embarrassed, Gary. I think we're, yeah. we, you know, we have to remember as well, you know, that you know what got us in that situation and it's horrible, horrible play throughout the season. You know, I wouldn't ever say, you know, that you know you hear people say, oh, they're throwing the shirts in. Someone's lost a change in them. Mm-hmm. Never at any time did Willie Miller lose a change in them. Um, no, you know, and, and and it annoys me when I hear people say that people out with who don't know what's going on in the changing room. Yeah, you know, never at any time. It's just that sometimes fate does that to you. You know, you've got a very good team, and for some reason, not they're not scoring goals and they're conceding the most stupidest goals. And before you know it, time's running out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we've probably picked over kind of Willie's departure loads mm. already on the yeah. show before, and I think 
everyone we speak to who was around the club at the time and um, who was part of the dressing room at the time probably all point to pretty much exactly the same issue which is probably that that close season I think Willie's determination to win maybe yeah. got the better of him and he discarded with a whole host of experienced players maybe too many at one go and yeah, maybe yeah. the maybe the guys who came in just weren't quite at the same the same mm-hmm. level but I mean how mm-hmm. do you replace you know Jim Bet? how do you replace Alec yeah, yeah. Um yeah, you don't. You know, it's, it's 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 very very difficult to do that, and you know, I I always struggle with that idea as well when people say about him losing the dressing room and stuff. Because I'm like, most of the guys in the dressing room would have been Willie's players, you know, who he brought into the club. So it's just it's like you say, it's just it's just football, isn't it? And for whatever reason, yeah. things just weren't clicking. You know, you look back a lot. I mean, I, I know you know Brian Irvin missed a lot of football that season, um, yeah. injured. You know, yeah. um, look back and you wonder how much of an impact did that have on us? You know, having with Alec having gone as well, that's two really key central defenders taken out here. Taken um, out. You need, you need to check this, but I'm I'm quite sure I I got a medial ligament that season. Well, you missed quite a bit as well, yeah. Missed about um, eight weeks, and then I came back against Hibs, and the uh, the boy Hunter, the Gordon Hunter, the centre half, fell on my knee again, and I was out exact same one. And I'm sure it was that season I was out for about another five, six weeks after that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that season, with the exception of kind of your your last season at Aberdeen, I'm pretty certain that's the season we have the least um, yeah. appearances. We couldn't get into the flow of it for some reason. It just yeah. didn't click. But then all of a sudden, bang, it clicks. You know, even we scored, I remember we scored Thompson. Did he score at uh, Falkirk? I think he did. I think he started. He was a very young player to be put in that situation. Yeah. He played with no, played with no fear at all. Well, Stephen Glass is another one who you know yeah. came in That's that a, season um, and, yeah. and was critical in the running uh, scores at Brockville and scores in the playoffs um, yeah. uh, against Dunfermline as well. That's what I remember. That's what I was saying to you earlier on. When you're that age, you you know people say you play without fear because you don't understand it. It's mm-hmm. when you get to my age, yeah. 31, 32, you think this is pretty serious. Yeah. We need to be pretty seen, you know, because I know the, you know, that, you know, you're talking what people have told you just the jobs because you get relegated. Well, exactly, yeah. And you yeah. feel that with you, but as a young player, you, you're just still laughing and joking. And it's probably best that it's, it's, that seriousness is kept away from you. Mm-hmm. So you can go out and uh, Stephen turned out to be a great player and, 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 and Scott Thompson played his part in the run in as well, you know. Absolutely. You kind of touched on it earlier on, but I think. After this game, was there just that real belief in the team now that, okay, um, yeah. I mean, we could have still been automatically relegated if we'd lost at Brockville and yeah, United had beaten uh, Hibs, I think they yeah. played at, at, at Tannadice. Right, yeah. It could have gone the other way, but yeah, after that result there, is there just that real belief that, look, we ain't going to get automatically relegated. And we could have potentially flipped it and Hearts could have ended up in the playoff spot, but that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But even then, that we had enough about us, you think, and we had the momentum at yeah. that point that uh, we were going to be all right. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no question about it. Absolutely no question. And as, as, as I mentioned, there's no question about it. The reason we won the game was because of our fans uh, turning up like that. And then, um, you know, going to the, for, for the Falkirk game, you know, we, we had a great um, record down at Falkirk. Anyway, I, I was like going down to Brookville. We always thought we played some. So I had no problems. We're going to take that one as well. I love it. The history books will show anyway. We we won at Brockville. We won the playoffs. Uh-huh. Uh, we saved ourselves from uh, a first ever relegation for the club, and then yeah. also kicked on in the next season and picked up the league cup in 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 the the later part of '95. Duncan, listen, we'll 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 wrap up here. It's been an absolute pleasure again to get to talk to you. Um, the first time we're running this segment of my favourite game, and 
it was such a great shout by you that I was like, oh, we'll have to get this one in first. It has yeah. to happen. Um, because for me as well, despite the circumstances, it's probably up there for me would be one of my favourite games that I attended at Pataudry anyway. Yeah. It's a nice wee change than, 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 than saying there's a trophy then. <laughs> the trophy for me was staying in the division. That was the trophy. That was bigger than any Scottish Cup, trust me. Love it. Duncan Shearer, top man. A pleasure again talking with you on the ABZ Football Podcast. And like we said before, congratulations again. Wish you all the yeah. best for uh, November and your induction into the Aberdeen FC Hall of Fame. Thanks, Gary. Top man. Cheers, Duncan. And that wraps up this week's episode of the APZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sticking with us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Just don't make it Spotify, and then you'll get it about four hours in advance. It's like we're running our very own Patreon. <laughs> Minus the cash. Minus the cash in a roundabout way. Anyway, join us next week for episode 69, Stop Laughing at the Back, where we'll look back over our Friday Night Football with Hibs, We'll preview our doubleheader with Livingston and Dundee United. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!